star. Well, maybe the owners are from Texas. <laughs> Remember the Alamo. I beg your pardon? Oh, he was just joking. Joking? I remember the Alamo. I saw it once in London, in Leicester Square. She means in the cinema, that film with John Wayne. Oh, yeah, of course. Checkmate. Right, with Lawrence Harvey, and everybody dies in it. Very bloody. Bloody awful, if you ask me. Here, <laughs> <laughs> Gladys, Tom, did you hear the one about the rushing oh, oh, Don't you woman and let me speak. Ask him what the candles are for. <laughs> you ask him. All right, left on a short till it. No, no, It's a pentangle, a five-pointed star. It's used in witchcraft. Lonchini Jr. and Universal Studios maintain that's the mark of the Wolfman. Oh, I see. And you want me to ask them if they're burning candles to ward off monsters? Right. <laughs> Wrong. All right, then. There was this airplane over the Atlantic on its way to New York. And it was full of men from the United Nations. Oh, <laughs> Go on, ask them. You ask them. So halfway over the ocean, the engines run low on petrol. So they have to lighten the plane. So they heave out all the baggage, but it's still too heavy. So they chuck out all the seats, but it's still too heavy. Finally, this froggy steps up, shouts, Vive la France, and leaps out. Then an Englishman. Yeah. He steps up, shouts, God save the Queen, and he leaps out. But the plane is still too heavy. So the Yank delegate from Texas, he steps up, shouts, Remember the Alamo and jokes out the Mexican. Excuse me. Well, that can't start. 
that board before. Uh, Jack, we better go. Back to the bin. Who wants to bring it in? Meow, meow, meow. Oh, wait, no. La. Okay. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins. It has been... Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> that's lovely. I can send you werewolf sound effects if you're that desperate. No, that's why I'm here. I'm the sound guy. Oh, okay. <laughs> is that is that what you are? He's like the guy from Police Academy, except not funny at all. <laughs> which actually makes him even more like the guy from Police Academy. <laughs> Anyways, I'm Paul Spataro, and I am here with my Back to the Bins brethren, Dr. Bill Robinson, Ooh. and Scott Halloween Gardner. I got the fleas, plain A's, the breeze. Yeah. Look at you singing. <laughs> Dr. Bill infects us all. <laughs> yes, he does. So it's been over a year since we've had a theme month on Back to the Bins, but here we are. With you our, say it's been over a what? Over a year. Has it been over a year? I think our last theme month was Assistant Editors Month, unless I'm missing something. Holy crap. Has it really been that long? How long ago was Apes? Uh, right before it? Wow. It's been, I, I'm pretty confident. It, it was before Dawn of the Planet of the Apes came out, wasn't it? Yeah, you know, now and that I, you say that. Holy and shit. And I think X-Men Month was before that. Yeah. Man, time just gets away from you, don't it? Yeah, okay, I'm just looking, uh... X-Men month was May. Oh, you didn't have to look it up. I looked it up. X-Men month was May. Apes month was June. And Assistant Editors month was July of 2014. Wow. And I do not believe we've had any theme months since then. Wow. So we are here doing horror month. Should we lay out what we're going to do? Or should we just leave it at horror month? Just leave well, it horror month in case things kind of go. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I, I'd love to kind of lay it out, but I mean, we could lay it out in vague terms. Them, like, this is what we hope to accomplish, kind of thing. We could do it that Not in any way. particular order. Right. Well, you know what? I'm going to just leave it at we want to cover a different type of horror monster theme each week. And October of 2015 has five Saturdays, so we'll be doing five theme episodes. Uh, today we will be doing werewolves, that much I can tell you. And uh, we'll take it from there. Now let me ask you, are we starting with werewolves because the because the one that we wanted to start first with, just uh, we, we weren't able to make that happen right away? Yeah, yep. originally, <laughs> pulling back the curtain, it's okay. a Saturday right now, we're recording werewolves. We were supposed to record a different one, not werewolves, on Thursday, but right. scheduling problems stopped us from doing that. So we bumped up Werewolves, which we were planning to do today all along, and uh, this will be the first one, and the one that we were planning to do for Thursday, I still plan to do, but that'll be another week. Okay. I definitely want to be a part of that one. 
and I'll kill the both of you if you record it without me. Very I'd cool. like you to be a part of all five if we can. Well, well yeah, well, yeah, that too. Well, let me well, see. All right, so pe- peeling back the curtain, because now I have to ask, because I, I, I'm trying to think of what the five were. So there's this one that's werewolves. We were also thinking... Oh, so we're going to just come right out and say it here. Fra- Frankenstein and or patchwork men, right? Like living corpse ty- type of thing. Okay, right? yeah, well, I was just thinking Frankenstein, but yeah, that, oh, that's okay. fine. We could expand then, it to patchwork men. And then vampires. Correct. And muck men. Correct. And what the hell was the other one? Dealer's oh, choice. Was, Any monster that right. you choose. Wild card. That's right. Okay. That'll yeah. be the fifth Saturday yeah. if all works out right. Sweet. And the fifth Saturday is Halloween. Yeah. Sweet. So I'd like to uh, to get these into the can as quickly as possible so that we know that our release schedule will work properly. But we'll see how that works out because the best laid plans are often <laughs> they often go awry. This is very true. As they did Thursday night. <laughs> so I think all three of us have got some just general comic. Uh, we've, we've obtained some back issues recently. Yes. Who wants to go first? I think I should go ahead of you, Scott, because yours is related to mine. I'll go first. Go <laughs> Bill goes first. Bill <laughs> will go first. Yes. Uh, Yancey Street had another great sale. Uh, I believe it was for Labor Day, and they had... Um, I took, it was something he hadn't had in quite a while to where the dollar bins, basically if, uh, for 25 bucks, you can fill a short box. Now you have to pay for the short box as well. So it comes to $32 and nine cents. Or you couldn't I, bring your own box. What? You couldn't. Bring no, your no, box. no. That was the stipulation. You, you had to buy one of the boxes that were there. Well, that's so, cool. So it's, it's, you know, the box is four ninety nine. So, you know, plus tax, you're at 32 bucks. So I jammed in, and I could have jammed in more if, if I took them out of the bags and boards. It was like a, it was like a three quarters of them had bags and boards, and the others didn't. So I got in a hundred. Is this all that stuff that was at the back of the store that we looked through briefly that that day yes. that we were there? Okay. Yeah. 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 Not not the normal bins. The normal bins they were also doing the um, everything below nine ninety nine was a dollar. So that was going on as well. But usually he doesn't often have that. You can. Fill a short box for twenty five bucks out of the dollar bin. So I got one hundred and sixty three comics in one box. That comes out to um, if if you go by twenty five cents, I got each one for about thirteen to fourteen cents per issue. Now, when you factor in the box, it's about nineteen to twenty cents per issue. So I did Professor Allen good. I have beat the Allen curve. But so but what it, I'm curious what you got because I mean granted we did not go through every single box but we dug through there pretty good and I think he moved a bunch of stuff over there because I oh, found okay. I found a bunch of things that I previously was missing in my event I found like two or three of my newer like new Avenger books that were over there I think he took like excess stock and stuff and he just shoved it in there Sweet. I also found which I'd like to collect, but I would have needed two or three short boxes, and I didn't have that much money to spend. I could have got a whole run of Valiant comics in there. Archer and Armstrong, Harbringer, Exo Man of War, just like the entire volume of of 90s Valiant comics were in there. Hmm. Uh, but what, what I picked up, I got a stack of Captain America's ranging from like issue 295 up to in the 400s. I'd say I got about 20 or 30 of those. I got a stack of various Justice League um, books um, from Justice League America um, after the the first series, International Task Force. I also picked up a couple Teen Titans. 
I got about four or five issues of ROM. I got a couple issues of Sleepwalker. Uh, hold on a second. Looking at the stack over here. Oh, yeah. I've, I I got about 40 to 50 issues of the New Warriors. Oh, nice. Of, yeah. I mean, a lot of them. Like one, I, I got one through six. I, I think I'm missing seven. And then um, a lot of them through the teens. There's like just like a couple here and there. Because didn't Once Mark gets, Bagley draw most of yep. that series? Yep. Yeah. So it was all, I mean, I was like, oh, my God, there's more. There's more. There's more. <laughs> So I got I was there for almost two and a half hours and I had to get back home or else the wife was going to be suspicious because <laughs> I'm like, I'm just running up to the mall to uh, to see if I can trade some books, <laughs> of course. Well, see, that way I could explain why I came back with a box. See, I slipped out when she was in the shower. So I said, yeah, I'm going to take some books up and trade with Steve. So that way, when I walk back in with a box, there's no suspicion so bad that I'm hiding my comic habit from my wife. <laughs> <laughs> What's in the box? Oh, just books. You know, it's, <laughs> it's fine. We're all fine here. We're fine. How are you? So, yeah, I, 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 I'll I try to go through and catalog them a little better. But, uh, yeah, it was quite the haul. I was very happy with it. Now I'm patiently waiting for a new sale. Oh, yeah, I didn't even have time to go through all of them because, one, my fingers were tired. I really wish that you one of you guys could have been there with me. And of course, there's only one of you that could have been there with me. Yeah, I wish I could have been there. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, within driving distance. So, so yeah, that's that's kind of my my new comic news for now. Yeah, my or new store. Old comic news. My store had a Labor Day sale as well. The store that you guys were in with me, mm-hmm. and uh, I always get I got books for fifty cents each, so I paid much much more than you. But I got uh, I thought I had the entire run of uh, the the first Secret Wars. Mm-hmm. But apparently I don't. So I got issue 12 of that. Uh, I got two old Atlas comics and an issue of Scorpion and an issue of Phoenix, which I just, I don't know, I just have a nostalgic feel for those Atlas comics. <laughs> I got uh, some some uh, issues of Omega Flight, some issues of Night Force, the Gene Colan series from the oh, 70s. Oh, yeah. Uh, one, two, three, three issues of Justice League Quarterly, two issues of DC Comics Presents, Russell Bragg. A couple of old Conans, a couple of Captain Victories. This is one I had never heard of before. John Burns, two, 2012? Yeah, 2112. Yeah. yeah. That's precursor to Next Men. Oh, okay. I was unfamiliar with it. I, but I saw it and I said, oh, it's John Burns. Like, it. Isn't it like two or three thick issues? Well, I just got one. No, oh. it was, a, tr- it was a, a one shot. Oh, okay. I think it was a. If I'm not mistaken, I could be dead wrong about this, but if I'm not mistaken, I think that was originally supposed to be a graphic novel, and he turned it into basically a one stop, uh, one shot prestige book. I think, something like that. Okay, I didn't but, yeah, have that. That any book issues. actually ties into uh, ties into Next Men. I didn't have any issues at all of Young All Stars. I got about twelve of those. Early issues or late issues? Uh, let me see what I got. I'll tell you exactly. That's a series that... Issue that's... 1, 2, 4, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26. Not bad. It's not bad at all. It's a pretty decent cross-section. I got... Uh, filled a bunch of holes in my X-Factor run. And frankly, I'm really only interested in filling that up to the point where the original team leaves... Yeah. Once they I, got I to the team, through, I'm really not that interested. Yeah, I like that series through Walt Simonson's run on it, and then after Simonson left, I, I was like, meh. 
And I got a bunch of Fantastic Fours from the 90s and early 2000s. A couple of Namors to fill some of the holes in my run there. And a couple of Secret Defenders, which I'm finding that to be a very underrated series, actually. Yes, it is. Yeah, I thought so at the time, actually. Yeah, I like that oh, book. That was, One, that was my run at the 50-cent box. Well, that wasn't wait, all wait, your wait, run. Wait, 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 so, wait. Before you ha- do your big news... I did I did remember three things because I just looked through the stack real quick. I picked up a copy of The Adventures of Kool-Aid Man with the Thirsties. Remember you just referenced that? Because <laughs> yeah. now I get that because I see the little zat, the little electrical guys on on the front cover. Yeah. So so yeah, that was in those bins. I also got um, a copy of uh, Marvel Comics Evil Knievel. Uh, now now I've told you my my Marvel Comics Evil Knievel thing, right? Do you guys have those? Because there was three issues. Yeah. There, there was oh. three of them there. I got one. I didn't know if you guys had had a copy. I have it. it that was a free giveaway, you know, an advertisement right, right. for the Evil Knievel motorcycle that you could buy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had a I had a few copies of it, and I mailed one in to Marvel Comics back in you know sometime in the 1970s. And I'm trying to find out where I have it here. I have a list of who signed it before they sent it back to me. So you keep talking, and while I look for my list of who signed it, okay. Do you do you have that issue, Scott? Yep. Oh, okay. okay I, I got it Here a couple go. years ago. I want to say I found it in like a fifty cent bin. I think I found and it. I, I also it, picked up two thousand one, a space odyssey number one, which probably isn't worth anything, but I wanted it anyway, just so, for the just for the Jack Kirby part. Oh yeah, that's 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 worth that, that's all it's worth. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but I have that as well. But uh, my my evil Knievel issue is signed by Stan Lee, Jim Salakrup. John Verporten, Dan Crespi, John Warner, Roger Sliffer, Jim Shooter, Roger Stern, Bonnie Wilford, John Romita, Al Milgram, and Steve Gerber. Holy crap. Now, how'd you get it signed by all those people? I mailed it into Marvel, and I asked them if they would just pass it around the bullpen. Mm. That's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. That's quite the whole thing. It's Evil Knievel. Mm. Wow. So you should have had Evil Knievel sign it. It'd be that much cooler. Yeah. If only, if only I had thought of that. <laughs> yeah, maybe we can have Robbie Knievel sign it sometime. Or George Hamilton. Or George Hamilton. <laughs> oh my God, I forgot about that. I thought that was a cool movie when I was when I was you know back it's in the seventies. Yeah, it's mm. not a bad movie. It's not a bad movie. I, you know, frankly, I'm surprised that there hasn't been a more recent uh, like uh, you know biopic for. They Evil. haven't rebooted. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Do the do, do the Evil Knievel reboot movie. Evil that has a great story. I mean that that's one that is actually kinda overdue to be uh you know, to be told again, you know, in a in a big screen, you know, big budgets, you know. Make him uh make him relevant again. Cause I mean I I'm sure that there's at least a generation, probably a couple of generations that have grown up now that are like, who the hell's Evil Knievel? I have no idea who he even was, you know? You can be great again, star. Evil. You can be great again. <laughs> You're just a slump. <laughs> you just broke yeah, your phone in your body twice. You can do it. Who, who would they get to play Evil Knievel now? George Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he could be the old Evil Knievel. No, no. George Hamilton. Just, just right. bring they him just, out again. They could just do the CGI and make him young again. What do you think, Woody Harrelson, or is he too old? Nah, he's too old. He's too old. You, you, I think Evil Knievel, when he was in his heyday, I think he was, you know, if he was thirty, he was old. Right. Yeah. Yeah, he probably had the body of a sixty-year-old. Well, yeah, but 
But I, I think, you, you know, you need to have a young actor. And I, I think instead of getting like the flavor of the week, if, if, I, if I were producing an Evil Knievel movie, I think I would try and uh, cast an unknown in the part. Mm. Yeah, you probably would have to. But yeah, I always thought he was cool as hell when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. Never wanted to do the The cool thing about him is that he was one of those guys that, you know, I, I never, while I thought he was cool, even at that young age, he was not like a role model. That was the big difference is he was almost like a, uh, uh, like he was like a living life lesson. Like, you know, you didn't have to tell me kids do not attempt this at home. I just looked at him. And I'm like, yeah, I don't want to try that. Oh, yeah. Well, looking, I mean, all the, the stories about the broken bones and everything. Right. <laughs> I had an Evil Knievel bicycle. It, it was a regular bicycle that was decked out with plastic to make it look like the Evil Knievel motorcycle. Right. Did and you jump like, it over anything? No, but on the second day I had it, I was riding down our road. Oh, wait, this could be a real life with Dr. Bill. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for a long-awaited real life with Dr. Bill Robinson. So as I was riding my newly gifted to me from my parents' Evil Knievel motorcycle slash bicycle, I was riding down the freshly paved roads in the back roads of Virginia, right outside my house. And I'm not quite sure what happened, but for some reason, the front wheel either caught something or just basically it stopped. So the front wheel stopped. <laughs> and you did not. And Your I parents booby-trapped it. And, and I learned a great, great lesson about physics and objects in motion. So as the front wheel stopped and I continued over the bike and then landed and skidded across the newly graveled and tarred road. Ow. Where my bike had stopped, once its momentum had been reached and the back end of the bike had now flipped and allowed the front tire to come off the ground, the bike then proceeded to land on me. Ouch. Full story. So, yep. Sorry sucks. Sad but true. But hey, man, it, yeah, so yeah, I, I was a young Evil Knievel. So I, th I think they bought the bike and said... You know, if we give this to him, you know, we'll have more money for dinner every night. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if it was like rigged, like, you know, like the parents were up there, you know, they pressed a button and it locked up the wheel. Your mom had a little remote control. <laughs> Damn, he lived. You know, I, I wonder about that because my mom put together another one of my bikes. And then like the second time I took that one out, the front handlebar, the the, the handlebars separated right out of the out of, out of the stem. And I had no way to steer the bike. And I was riding with the handlebars in my hands. And also, and then then I went down. Down goes Frazier. Down goes Bill Robinson. I think she was trying to do me in. Thanks, Mom. Did she ever cut the brake lines? <laughs> I got no brakes. <laughs> no brakes. <laughs> Put my feet down like the Flintstones. Oh, but anyway, that is not all that Paul Spataro bought at the comic shop because just a couple of days ago, I came home from work and had a massive package sitting on my doorstep. Whoa, contained... whoa, whoa. It was on fire, and it was full of dog poop. <laughs> it contained 46, count them, 46 issues of Warlord, just because he knew I was looking for it. So I was just uh, taking a little look here. I think I'm, uh, I'm only like, I think, 18 issues away from the entire series now, including annuals, which that's pretty damn cool, so... I appreciate that, buddy. I thought that was really awesome when I saw it. I was like, damn, that's a lot of issues. Well, that's what happens when they make them cheap and I have your want list in my hands. <laughs> well, you know, I appreciate it's, it's, that. I, I was just doing some uh, messaging back and forth with Tom Panaris, and he suggested something like his wife. He says his wife does something. Where is it? Uh, 
His wife does something with beauty stuff, bath gel, perfume, makeup, blah, blah, blah. Yes, Bill definitely could benefit from that. Yeah, well, we just douse him in it. But but they'll they'll have all this unopened stuff, and then people just kind of take stuff that they want, and then they put stuff they don't want in there, so they're all sharing and making use of it. He He suggested... Wouldn't that be a good idea for comics? Leave a book, take a book. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, we, yeah. and we, we were talking about leave a book, take a book. But then I said something about maybe we'd be better off just having some, like what you talked about, some sort of central site where we could each put up our want list. Yep. And this way, instead of sending, you know, instead of me sending you a box of books or a package of books where I'm shipping you 50 books and you want four of them, and then you have to take that and ship, you know, put four more, four new ones in and ship it to somebody else. Instead of doing that kind of thing, uh, maybe maybe we there's a way where we could set up a page or or a you know some sort of receptacle site where, where everybody could put their want list, mm-hmm. and we can just start you know and and what you'd have to have though is you'd have to have the ability to update your want list is yep. what I'm thinking because if you know if I put my list up there and one of you guys sent me some books I'd want to be able to take them off the want list so that somebody else doesn't waste their time sending me the exact same ones right but other than that I think you know if if we can if we could figure out a way to, to make it easy to look at everybody's stuff, I think that that could be kind of cool. Right. No, I, I like this idea. I really want to figure out a way to make that work. I know you've been talking about doing something along those lines for quite a while. Yeah. And, and I definitely support the idea because every one of us has books in our collection that you'd say, yeah, I don't really care if these went away. Right. Meanwhile, there's other ones you'd really like. So you wouldn't mind saying, well, let me ship these off to so-and-so who I know would appreciate them more than me. Exactly. Yeah, and I've got some I, duplicates of stuff I've picked up over the years. It's like, well, shoot, you know, what do I do with this? <laughs> I'm just, I'm trying to think of something that would be a little bit like what you're saying, a little bit of like comic book swap shop, but also really the the idea that I had in mind was kind of like, you know, having want list in hand for your friends and your buddies when you're at a show or at a at a comic shop or something, but then also. The one that always occurs to me is when you're just you're out somewhere and you're digging through like a cheap bin somewhere and you come across that great comic that you're like, I don't need another copy of this. But damn, somebody somewhere is probably looking for this book, you know, and Mm -hmm. you you find that really good 50 cent find in a, you know, in a cheapy bin and you just feel bad for passing it up. But you don't need it personally. You just know that somebody else is probably looking. That's that's really where the, the genesis of that idea hit me. That, you know, wouldn't it be great if there was some thing that we had in, in the, you know, in our Two True Freaks, you know, back to the bins community where you could just plug in that book and go, OK, this person's looking for this book, you know, and, and pull it aside for them or whatever. I just I, I like that idea. I just, you know, I'm not I'm not the tech guy to figure out, you know, the nuts and bolts of how to make that work. But I just think it'd be cool if we had something like that, you know, I definitely agree. And. That's why I think it's good to talk about it on the show because maybe there's a guy out there who is a tech guy who can tell us how to make it work or right. put something together for us to help us make it work. Because exactly. if we can, it would be very cool. Uh, I like that guy. He makes books go. Yeah, well, we're, 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 what is it, Padlicks? Or... <laughs> uh, what were they called? They were Pad something. Padlicks, yeah. Pad smash. Pad oh, no. Smash. <laughs> Ooh, hey. He makes ship go. <laughs> Packlids, that was it. Packlids. Packlids, okay. Put my comics down. <laughs> Send me books. <laughs> so back to Horror Month. 
Well, I'm thinking that if you want to go strictly by release date, which I think is probably the best plan on this, then you actually have the first book, sir. I always have the old book, don't I? And I have the newest book. Because you're the young buck in the group. <laughs> Am I? Oh, wait a minute. Did I say buck? Oh. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dr. Bill. Who would be the butt of my jokes if you weren't around? Sean Angle. Ooh. I don't think Sean gets any abuse from me, but Sean might think differently. Not on this show. So for Werewolf Week, I chose Giant Size Creatures number one, which... So that's WWW Werewolf Week. <laughs> yes. As, as of issue two, that became werewolf, Giant Size Werewolf by Night. So when they, when they started the Giant Size run, that seemed to be the way they went. Uh... What's called the Fantastic Four started out as giant size superstars, then turned into giant size Fantastic Four. Uh, Spider Man was giant size superheroes, I believe. Turned into giant size Spider Man, which effectively became a giant size Marvel team up book. And then I know giant size Defenders, which did come out as giant size Defenders, the first issue, but had been advertised as giant size super teams. So I think they were planning on keeping it general and then rotating who was going to be in the books. But then they decided to make it character specific. So giant size creatures did become giant size werewolf by night, for what it's worth. Yeah, giant size Millie the model, which became giant size man thing. I never understood that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this book, this one came out in July of 1974, and it had the giant sized cover price of 35 cents. I don't know why, but I made the error of looking it up on the comic book database first, which told me that the cover was drawn by Gil Kane. And I looked at it and I said, that ain't Gil Kane. So I went to a better source and went to Mike's Amazing World. And there the cover is credited to Don Perlin and Frank Giacoya. And I think that's correct. I could see that, yeah. And it even looks like possibly the faces may have been touched by uh, John Romita. Because he was the art director at that time. So that would not surprise me. And the cover shows the werewolf and Tigra both leaping from a cage towards the reader and towards a bevy of hydra agents the story is titled tigra the werewoman hmm that's clever it's <laughs> written by tony isabella penciled mm-hmm. by don Perlin, mm-hmm. inked by everyone's favorite vince coletta yay in- inked by <laughs> val mayrick's favorite <laughs> vinnie coletta yeah <laughs> and colored by petra goldberg lettered by Artie simic and edited by roy thomas the splash page shows the werewolf and Tigra kind of squaring off over a Hydra symbol. Then we go into part one, She Stalks in Beauty Like the Night. The story opens with Jack Russell strolling at the shore with his shoes and shirts o- shirt off with his feet in the water, worried that his sister might share his werewolf curse. But the quiet moment is disturbed immediately by a bikini-clad woman running in his direction. She falls and Jack, ever the gentleman, goes to help her. But as he does, he's pistol-whipped by a Hydra agent. Two agents grab the woman who attempts to play innocent, but the Hydra agents aren't fooled because they see that she's wearing a ring with the symbol of the cat people. So I (laughs) saw that movie. It was stupid. It had Nastasia... What's her name? Uh, Kinski. She was kind of hot. She was kind of naked, yeah. So who cares how stupid it was? (laughs) And so she breaks free of the Hydra agents... One of them says, without even trying. <laughs> I guess she really tried because she got loose. She just didn't have to try that hard. But uh, according to the agent and... Oh, excuse me. Blah. 
She then transforms into Tiger the Werewoman. She makes a, she makes quick work of the two agents and then turns her attention to Mr. Russell, who, as if on cue, transforms into the werewolf at that moment. And wait, 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 wait. Where did the ring go? He was one of the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean, where did the ring go? I, I just, I couldn't help but know, because I'm looking here. I'm sorry. I, I'm totally hosing your, uh, your synopsis, but it's I'm looking okay. at page six, panel three. And my first thought was, how could you type or eat or anything with this giant, stupid looking cat face ring? But then as soon as she turns into Tigra, where the hell's the ring? It's uh, gone. Well, Maybe it morphs around her body. No, yeah, go, yeah. To, go to page seven, the right. first panel at the top. It looks like she has the ring on her hand. Ah, uh, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You're right. But yeah, I, I think, you know, they're taking some artistic license saying, oh, you don't see it at this angle, which is probably total bullshit. But, <laughs> you know, that, that's that's what they're giving us. All right. I'll buy that, I guess. Okay. So Jack Russell turns into the werewolf and he attacks her. He's stronger than her, but she's smarter and uses his momentum against him. What if he turned into a terrier? <laughs> He's already a terrier. Jack <laughs> Russell. That is my biggest problem with this character, Jack Russell. Really? Nobody at Marvel stopped to think that that was just really, really stupid. I don't think that breed was that well-known. I think just people just used to say Terrier. I don't think... Mm -hmm. I I think the breed of Jack Russell Terrier became much more well-known when... Because uh, of Werewolf by Night. That's awesome. I think uh, because of the show Frasier. Frasier? Yeah. I think you're right. Because I don't really remember... I know I wasn't familiar with that as a breed until then. I never knew that the name Jack Russell actually referred to a, a canine. Okay. But, you know, maybe that's just me. I was ignorant. Was? Remus. Well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so the, the two of them do battle. And based on the way it's drawn, it looks like they're doing they're dancing a tango. Yes, it does. And, and then... Uh, it's like a pirate day. <laughs> a uh, troop of Hydra agents come upon them and take them down with a sonic shatter cone. Mm-hmm. And they're delicious. With the two of them down, an agent declares that with all the cat people in their hands, they shall secure the final secret. They take Tigra captive, but decide to leave the werewolf, because it's always smart to leave someone who can come back and kill you. And I'd put a bullet in the back of his head. Yeah, really. They didn't have any silver bullets. Mm. One one bullet left. One Coors beer can could have done it. Hey, Waffin' Boy. (laughs) One bullet left. Yeah, yeah, I know. One bullet left. Uh, so Tiger regains consciousness and restarts the fight, but she's quickly subdued again with a gun butt to the forehead and a, and a hearty Hail Hydra baby, which gets a reply of, Have a care, Agent. Agent B4, none may make use of our oath with so little respect. Who talks like that? Kind of characters, I guess. <laughs> so as this goes on, the werewolf awakens and scrambles the back of one agent's head. But he's again put down by an explosive trinket. I think it may be another sonic doohickey. At that, the agents make off with Tigra and leave the unconscious werewolf. Again, such a small move. That brings us to part two, a warrior reborn. We're in what appears to be an underground lair with large machines. Tigra's in a cage, and there are hydrogen agents tearing the place apart, looking for the final secret. The agents decide to bring in their captives to interrogate them, including the older woman, which triggers a Tigra flashback sequence. (laughs) You see, the older woman is Dr. Tumolo, who was instrumental in Greer becoming the costumed hero called 
the cat. Domo Arigato, Dr. Tumolo, Tumolo. Okay, not the Hellcat. Hellcat comes along later. That's Patsy Walker. This is is Greer Nelson. Greatly confused by this part. I'm like, when the hell was Greer Nelson ever the Hellcat? I was really confused. She was never the Hellcat. What happened was Marvel in the early 70s decided to put out several series with lead character female lead characters right my understanding it was spearheaded by steve gerber and his then girlfriend whose name i don't recall yeah i know who you're talking yeah and uh they had the cat which was greer nelson i think that was four issues they had night nurse they had shanna the she-devil right and i think there was one other series that i'm forgetting none of them lasted i think i'm forgetting one more Anyway, uh, Doctor oh, Tomolo was it the, was it the uh, Satana? Was that the one? No, I think that, I, I think because I don't think the Comics Code would allow that at that point. I gotcha. I, th- I think you're right though. I think there is another one. I just can't remember who it was. But they, like I said, none of them lasted. I don't think. I don't think you know. I think Marvel treated them as let's put young people on this and see how they do. Like I don't right. think they put their top talent on it. I mean, Steve Gerber was one of the writers. And he is a top talent, or was a top talent, but I don't think they had realized that yet. I think he was just a young writer who they were giving a chance. Right. Then they eventually moved him over to Daredevil, and he actually brought Shanna, the She-Devil, and the two villains, the Mandrill and Necra, with him to, to kind of finish the story he had started in Shanna. I'm trying to remember. I can't think of what other series may have been. If somebody out there remembers, good for you. <laughs> so anyway... Uh, what happened here? Oh, yeah. Uh, the flashback <laughs> goes on. Greer sees that Dr. Tomolo was taken captive by some Hydra agents, and she confronted them as the cat, only to be shot in the back by some, uh, excuse me, shot in the back with an alpha radiation pistol by some Mary Poppins looking lady with a big fat ass. Greer <laughs> awakens in the lair of the cat. Did you see the picture? Mm hmm. There's the one where she shoots her, you kind of only see her from this, you know, like a little bit of her. But then there's a shot following that with her walking away, and you see how, how large she is. Just a spoonful of alpha radi- radiation makes Greer Nelson go down. So after being shot with the alpha radiation pistol, why don't they just shoot her in the head with a bullet? I don't understand. But no, 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 it's much better. I'll shoot you with this radiation thing that may kill you over months. Congratulations, you are now sterile. <laughs> Meanwhile, yes. or, or they might just turn you into a cat person, but we'll see. Oops, did I give away the final? Meow. So she Greer wakes up in the lair of the cat people where she was taken by Dr. Tumolo. You see, Dr. Tumolo is actually one of the cat people, even though that was never revealed in the series The Cat. <laughs> the cat people evolved from cats instead of apes and were apparently pilgrims and persecuted until they fought back and killed everybody, but then have rep- repented ever since. All because they don't have thumbs. I think their only only representative is Alvin at this point. Anyway, it seems that Greer, Greer is going to die of alpha radiation unless they change her into one of them. So you can be evolved from apes instead of cats, but then they could just turn you into a cat somehow. Hmm. So they have her. Excuse me. They have her smell their cat statue, Ew. and then they <laughs> gather around her, and she turns into Tina Turner. Uh, I mean Tigra. Uh, the lair is immediately attacked by Hydra agents, but Dr. Tomolo tells Greer to escape because she's still too weak to fight them and she should go rest so that she can help them later. And there we end our flashback. Bill? Thank you. 
you know, I don't think I'll ever be able to look at Tiger the same way now. I'm always going to hear T- Tina Turner when, when she talks. What's love got to do with it, baby? Yeah. I hate that song. So we return to Tiger. Well, how about We Don't Need Another Hero? I hate that song, too. I hate Tina Turner. We Don't Need Another Litter Box. How about Acid Queen? Come on. That one's good. I don't know that one. From Tommy. I don't know that one. Well, you may have to hear I it. Might, I might know it to hear it. I just said the I name. think if you heard it, you'd know it. It's from Tommy by the hook. I'm your private dancer, dancer for money. Oh, is that the one? Okay. <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> oh. I am not seeing a fourth female book, and I am looking like crazy. You said Shanna the She Devil, right? Yeah, Night Nurse, Shanna, Cat, and maybe it's, maybe it is just those three. I thought it was I was four, totally but... joking about Millie the Model, but Millie the Model was still running at this time. But yeah, the only I'm seeing three well, books look... launched concurrently. It was it was Night Nurse, the Cat, and Shanna the She Devil. And Maybe I'm looking it. for a fourth, but I'm not. I, but the funny up. thing is, is I agreed with you. I thought that there was a fourth one, but I'd be damned if I can find it here. I'm looking. I'll I just don't. I'll just vamp. Dutch marks or dollars. American Express <laughs> would do nicely. Thank you. Jesus. Let me loosen up your collar. Would you make me do the shimmy again? Don't ask me why I know all the words. To How are you not on Broadway? <laughs> okay, back to the book. <laughs> so we return to Tigra in the cage and a Hydra agent is interrogating Dr. Tomolo by slapping the glasses off a fat face and from there we go to part three some say the world will die dot 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 time to rejoin the werewolf on the beach howling at the moon thinking about how he'd like to shag Tigra he gives chase and makes his way to the cat people's lair immediately jumping to attack the Hydra agents he helps Tigra to bend the bars of her cage and release her. The two of them take on a group of Hydra agents, with the werewolf in a berserker rage, killing them right and left. At that point, Tigra and Dr. Tomolo just kind of leave them alone to fight and go to find the captive Al- Alvin people. I mean, cat people. I mean, uh, yeah, cat people. The, the werewolf follows them and attacks an agent who is aiming a radiation gun at them. Again, guys, lead. It works. Radiation gun. Idiot. The werewolf continues to follow, and Dr. Tomolo says she thinks he's in love with her. <laughs> love. Um, uh, yeah. What's we'll, love got to do with it? We'll call it love. Understand <laughs> <laughs> emotion. So, so uh, Tigra and Dr. Tomolo release the cat people, and they're confronted by yet another group of Hydra agents. Boy, they, they don't kid when they say, cut off one arm and two more will replace it. <laughs> Dr. Tumolo says, if Hydra wants the final secret so bad, she'll give it to them. And she turns open a valve, releasing a gas, killing all the Hydra agents with what turns out to be the Black Plague. They incinerate everything in the cave and seal it off to keep the plague from spreading. At this point, the werewolf feels like he's kind of worked for his... Uh, his nookie, and he feels he's entitled to a little. So he grabs Tigra, but she's not quite ready to give it up. Isn't that just like a woman leading him on? Totally. Totally. So anyway... You defeat a whole Hydra base, and you can't even give him... Oh, man. A little hand job, you know? Come on. Yeah, you know? <laughs> a little release, you know? It's the least you could do. Damn her. Damn her! <laughs> so uh, Dr. Tamulo suggests that she likes him because of her cat-like nature, so... She concentrates and turns back into Greer, which then turns the wolf off, and he leaves. It doesn't Greer, turn Nelson. him off. It turns him stupid. Look at that. that uh, yeah. Greer Nelson runs Tiger Town. There is something <laughs> wrong with him right there. He's got a serious case of the day. Yeah, he's definitely got retard face in this shit. 
that he leaves, though, he shoves a cat person out of the way as he's leaving, too, which I kind of like. <laughs> and uh, Tigra actually, uh, Greer actually turns back into Tigra without trying. And Dr. Tumolo tells her she may not be able to turn back to Greer anymore. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Meanwhile, the horny werewolf makes his way off and howls at the night. I'm sure it's not a recipe for some woman to get taken advantage of now. But that's where our story ends. When he shoved that guy, if there was a word balloon there that just said, move, pussy, this would be the greatest book ever. <laughs> and it wouldn't be incorrect. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, maybe we can manage that. Wow. He looks more like uh, like Caesar from the New Apes films in that last panel than he does a werewolf right there. He actually looks like Caesar's son from Dawn of the Planet of the Apes right there. Yeah, because yeah, the way he's, he's leaning on guard. all fours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, good Lord. What is wrong with... Tigra constantly has, like, um, like, like oriental features throughout the... When she's actually Tigra, and she doesn't look like a cat person. She looks like... You know what she reminds me of? She reminds me of Mantis from the Avengers, like so with tiger stripes. So you can't help but like her. No, I can't help but hate her. She's a I cat. Not they, like got, that they got the, they got the fun. She's got the funky cat eyes. Those are not cat eyes, dude. Yeah, but that's what they're supposed to be. It's that's just what they're supposed to be, yes. But you know, he's supposed to be a werewolf too. But you know, most he of looks the like time, a furry ape. Yeah, he does. He looks like a furry ape. Like he's a mangy ape is what he looks like. His fur is all like matted down, like one of those like wind up monkey toys or something. He's just yeah. It's like an island of Doc Moreau reject. <laughs> what is the law? Ah, uh, I don't know. Tiger woman. Who 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 is going first on their review of this thing? Well, I guess I mean it's my book, so I'll I'll you know what? I gave the whole synopsis, so I'll wait until last to go. I'll let you guys give your opinions before I give opinions. I think I kind of interspersed a lot of opinions in it anyway. It's not a bad story per se, but what really kills it is the art. The art's just so pedestrian it's it's almost like spidey stupid style uh, stories style art you know what i mean it's uh yeah i really i really don't like the it art it kind of reminds me of a charlton romance mixed with a horror comic <laughs> you're right with, especially with, that with, opening scene of you know of, you know he's on the beach you know yeah. with his shoes off and his shirt off and you know, he's got the, the image of the woman in his head and everything. If it wasn't for the monster face right there, that could totally be the beginning of a, of a romance story. You're absolutely right. Yeah, like Even up until she, up she until stalks in beauty the like the night. Yeah, exactly. What's that, Bill? <laughs> yeah, up until, you know, she turns into Tigra, those first three or four pages. Right. Yeah, this, this could be. She stalks, the, she stalks in what? She stalks in beauty like the night. What, did Patrick Swayze sing that? <laughs> That first panel on page six of her turning into Tigra, I can't decide if it's the if it's the angle, if it's the inking, or if I'm really right. But she looks seriously chunky right there, and she's supposed to be like like light. Yeah, exactly, like a cat. And she does she doesn't look that way at all. She's well, you know, she's balling up. She's getting ready to spring, so she could be springing back getting kind of big and then you know when she stretches out she looks reach. like she has a punch or something I, it's yeah. really no, weird that's, that's yeah. a camel toe <laughs> no no that is not <laughs> it's like a like a rhino toe maybe but not a camel toe <laughs> oh. it's a fat pad down there yeah something, <laughs> something weird. yeah something's going on there but like i said it's it's not bad it's just 
this is my problem with Werewolf by Night. I want to like the character. I, you know, I anytime I find a Werewolf by Night issue on the cheap somewhere for like you know fifty cents or, or less, I go ahead and I pick it up because I keep adding to it, hoping one day I'll have a decent enough run that I can sit down and read them. But unfortunately, I don't think I've ever gotten an issue that had decent art. So it just it kind of holds the character back, in my opinion. It's like. You know, when you pitched this idea of werewolves, I was trying to think, like, what is, the, like, the definitive Marvel werewolf? And I think a lot of people will point to this character, but I, I don't. I actually chose a different one for a lot of the reason of I don't like the art in his stories. Is it always Don Perlin, or, or were there other artists? I think there were other artists, but I couldn't even tell you definitively which artists were on the book. I, I think most that. of the issues I've ever seen, I think, have been Don Perlin, who I don't have anything personal against Perlin. I, I just don't like his art. <laughs> I don't have anything personal against him. I just hate him. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I remember Don Perlin being better than this. I, I couldn't tell you specifically. I remember reading him in uh, The Defenders, in the yeah, later issues, yeah. when they got into the supernatural stuff with Gargoyle and everything. Well, that was a lot later than this. And maybe he oh, yeah, much later. Yeah, maybe we art or got better or something of course he is paired with uh with Vin, you know vinnie coletta too so that's that, what i was just gonna say maybe that's a factor yeah well, i would imagine so but yeah i mean the the werewolf his werewolf persona changes constantly through the issue like when he first becomes the werewolf on page eight he looks more like like uh like a yeti you know like the abominable snowman or something and then later in the book he he almost looks like he's just like covered with shit or something as opposed to covered with hair. And it, it, it's constant through the whole issue. It He never really looks, uh, what's the word, lupine? Is that right? You know what I mean? He, yeah. he never oh, yeah. And yes, that is the right word. I'm you know? wondering, call, calling back to our uh, Val Mayrick interview, which if people haven't listened to, you really should. Yes. Uh, when he talked about Frankenstein and how they couldn't go with the uh, the classic universal look right because it was licensed i'm wondering if the same held true for the werewolf you would think so because that's also a universal monster this is definitely closer to the uh to the universal uh yeah. his name uh yeah lon cheney lon cheney jr look yeah but it you know it might be that they had to just keep you know give it some subtle differences just to keep it from being a licensing problem and, and that's kind of difficult to do, to, to make it look like that, but make it look different at the same time, you know? I mean, they eventually they, went to, like, when they did it in the West Coast Avengers, they had a much more lupine look, more like American Wolf in London kind of look. Right, yeah. I like this better. I'm not saying this particular book and the way the artwork is in this book, but I'm talking about this character model. Right. I, I don't want the American Wolf in London, because I want a werewolf that's going to interact with the rest of the Marvel Universe, as this one did. And right. the American Wolf in London one does, just doesn't seem like a good fit for that. Right. But that's know, the, the only, selfish that way. The only panel I, I really see of him in the whole book where I, I feel like he, he looks kind of the way I think that a, a, a werewolf should look like is that at the beginning of Chapter 3 where he's on the beach. For one thing, he's he's very thin. He's very like kind of gaunt. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Almost the rest of the book, he, he's always he, – he looks chunky and fat, which again – lends to his ape-like appearance. Like that shot on page 27 where he's freeing Tigra from the cage, that's a gorilla or a chimp. That is not a werewolf. 
and it's it, i don't know it just it it really hurts it to me when he doesn't look like the monster he's supposed to be or you know the 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 type of monster he's supposed to be he doesn't look wolfish he looks i don't know he he looks like a combination of different creatures at different times a little bit sasquatch here or yeti or something a little bit ape but hardly ever does he look like an actual wolf <laughs> i don't know what do you think bill I'm wondering what's in that uh, that cat urn. Here, smell this. Cue, cue smell, the Jimmy smell Hendrix my cat. <laughs> all along the Watchtower music. Whoa. The colors, man. The colors, wow. <laughs> yeah, that is Tina Turner as Tigra. We really got to get that cast soon before she gets too old. She could be, <laughs> be Dr. Tumolo. Um, yeah, the art, oh, just, yeah, not, <laughs> yeah. That's a glowing endorsement. Yeah, yeah, nah, see? yeah, it sucks, yeah, yeah. Yeah, see? It could have been so much better, I mean, because when you compare the next issue we're going to look at, and I was surprised when I saw who did, I was like, ooh, I'm in for a treat. And then reading this, oof. Mm-hmm. Mm. I mean, story-wise, it's crazy. Again, 70s fun, Marvel fun. Um... My beef is, how come, well, I guess Tiger gets her tail later. She doesn't have it at all in here. Oh, yeah, you know what? I, I, I think that. actually that actually happens in West Coast Avengers, that she no. mutates further and gets the tail. Yeah, really? no, I think no. you're right. I thought she had her tail in regular Avengers books. Yeah, no. Mm, I don't know about <laughs> that. Yeah, but I've always liked the character of Tiger, you know, the nice, tall, walking cat woman. Mm. Yeah, I do too, but I I just that's what bugs me about her appearance here. I don't I don't like the way she looks here, but I do like that character. Need to lay off the cat the the cat snacks, honey. Cool. Yeah, plus you don't like that she looks like Mantis. Yeah, totally. Now they they uh they didn't shit can the character of the cat for very long because no, this Pat, this was cuz Patsy Walker comes back in the yeah. Avengers. Isn't it one like 142? 144, I believe. Well, that was close. Uh, this is July of 1974, and I'm pretty sure it was early in 76 when they uh, when they had Patsy Walker as the Hellcat. Mm. Right. So, you know, n- not not a very long time before they decided, hey, we could have both characters. Right. And, uh, I mean, Tigra's had, you know, she's had legs, so to speak. She's got legs. And she, she hasn't been much in the way of her own series. She did have uh, a short run. I'm trying to remember what the, uh, was it like Marvel Presents or something along those lines. I think she had like the first four or five issues of that. I know she was featured somewhat prominently like in a um, in Avengers Academy when that was launched a few years ago. Much had, more recent though. Yeah, right, right. So she has still been around till today. I don't think really Jack Russell has. And Marvel Presents was Bloodstone for the first two issues, and then it went to Guardians of the Galaxy. But it was just a series of that ilk. And she had the first four, I believe it was the first four issues of it. And uh, that, would be, that would be an interesting book to bring for the wild card show. Is, uh, there was that four-issue, prestige. I think it was a prestige format, um, Bloodstone series back in the 90s. I think I have all, all four of those issues. I've never read it. You know the one I'm talking about? Yeah, I think I've read that. It's been a long time. She was very... They were very obviously going for the the Tomb Raider market on that one. 
Okay, she, oh, she, the she female headlined, Bloodstone. Uh, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about now? Yeah, yeah. yeah. She headlined Marvel Chillers from issue three to issue seven. One of those is an early John Byrne issue. Number two, I think. Uh, well, I don't think issue two was her. Oh, let me see if I can find it, because I... I'm, I'm looking at... I'm looking I know at, I have uh, one issue, I, I think only one issue of, of Marvel Chillers in my collection, and I have it in my collection because it's an early John Byrne. That would be issue six. With, six? Where she fight... Uh, she and the Red Wolf uh, are in that issue. I think you're right, yeah. Let me see, I'm looking here to see if I can find it. Yep, that's it. Yep. And who the hell is that on the cover? Busima? But yeah, on the interior in that one, it's uh, it's Burn. That's when she had her bikini. Cover artist is Rich Buckler, by the way. Oh, is it Buck? Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm. All right, now I see it. Yep. So, so what's our grades overall? You want me to go? Yeah. Uh, Art. (sighs) I like the opening Charlton Romance. She looks good in the (laughs) bikini, but then once she becomes Tigra, it's just really funky and and gets. You know, the consistency of Jack Russell. Mm. Uh, I got to give it a D. The story, I'm going to give it a C plus. And the cover, mm, I'll give the cover a C minus. So I guess looking at a C minus overall for me. All right, I'll go next. Uh, Art is a straight up F. It's terrible. Um, The story, eh. I'll say a C minus. It's a little dumber than I like them, but it's not. Bad. I mean, it's kind of average, but it's you know, it's not not great. And the cover, I think I'd have to go a D on the cover. I I don't like how either of the 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 feature characters, either the werewolf or tiger, look. Because again, she looks really strange, and he looks like super chunky on that cover. So yeah, yeah not, you know, when you lose some weight, you can make fun of them. <laughs> so yeah alright I'm going to give my nostalgia laden review uh oh <laughs> uh, I kind of like the cover I don't think it's I mean I don't think either character looks particularly strong but the, I like the layout I feel like it's kind of dynamic I'm going to give it a C plus the interior art has moments I think it's very inconsistent I do think the storytelling is okay. Uh, I think it does suffer some from some pacing issues. I think that's why they had to break it up into chapters because they didn't really know how to pace this story the right way. So I'm going to say a C minus on the art. I think it does have some moments that that keep it from being a, an F or a D for me. But I do see where I, I do understand your critique and the story. I don't think the story is terrible. I don't think the story is great. I think it introduces a new character who's had at least enough uh, legs to still exist in today's market. Uh, I'm going to say just a a straight C on that, and I'm going to give the overall book a C. All right. Mm. We ready for the next one? And so we move on. Having having disposed of the monster, (laughs) we move on to book number two. All right, for the second book, we are going to March 1975. Now, that's the uh, the cover date or the uh, the indicia date. I don't know when this book was on sale because I was too damn lazy to look that up. Actually, you know what? Come to think of it, though, I actually had this page up earlier in Mike's Amazing World, so I could probably tell you. Give me one moment here. There it is. Hang on. It is. Oh, here we go. 
It was on sale, according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, December 17th, 1974. So that was a long-ass time ago. All right, so what are we looking at here? You talk about your uh, your nostalgic look-backs right here. This one's a super nostalgic look-back. So before I reveal what book I brought, <laughs> you're not going to believe this, Paul. You know what book I almost picked? Giant size giant, creatures number one. <laughs> giant size, no, giant size werewolf by night number two. <laughs> uh, you know what? I came close to picking that too because it's got the werewolf versus Frankenstein. Frankenstein, exactly. Yeah, I picked that up. Um, actually, I think I won it on eBay a year or two ago when I was working my way through uh, Marvel's uh, Frankenstein. You know, the appearances of the monster. And somewhere on some list, I found that listed, and I'm like, mm, I'm gonna have to find that. And I, I think I scored it on eBay for like, I don't know, like a dollar or something. And I've had it all this time. I've never actually read it. So when we were deciding on books and everything, it came down to two books. It came down to the book I actually chose, and that one, knowing again that it had Frankenstein in it, that I own it, and I'd never actually read it. So I dug the issue out. And as soon as I cracked the cover and saw the interior art, I was like, I don't think so. And I didn't realize that that was actually the very next giant size issue from the one that you just covered. All they did was change the title. That's the very next issue. Um, and I, I, I'm not sure about the writer, but the art team is the same. It's, uh, it's Don Perlin again, and I think it's even Vinnie Coletta again. But yeah, I did not like the art in that. So I was like, no, nah, wait. It might, it might be a great story, but I just thought the art was atrocious. So I went with my original first instinct, which was Creatures on the Loose featuring Manwolf. This is number 34 in the series. The, the series proper was just always just called uh, Creatures on the Loose. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I don't know a lot about the title, but if I'm not mistaken, I think prior to Manwolf coming in and then running in serial installments and basically becoming the star of the book right up until the cancellation of the book, I think prior to that, I think it was all just like one-off like monster stories. If I'm I think not it was mistaken. actually, I think it was Thangor the Barbarian. Oh, you're right. That's yeah, you're you're absolutely right. I forgot about that. Which actually, some of those uh, I wouldn't mind tracking down because I think some of those were done by uh, by our pal uh, Val, weren't they? I think that is correct, and I I've been thinking about it because I didn't realize that, and and I, I don't know if he said something <clears throat> or if uh, if I just saw when we were getting ready to interview him, I saw that that he did some, and I started thinking, yeah, I got to get a was, hold of those. Yeah, I think it was a little of both. And what's funny is I think I've seen those issues around before in cheap bins and I've always passed them up because that's not my genre. But now knowing that he worked on that stuff, I'm going to have to, you know, if I ever chance across it again, I'm going to I'm going to pick those up. It's funny how your taste changed like that over time, too, because there's a lot of stuff I've ended up picking up over the years or regretted not picking up over the years because it was out of, you know, just kind of out of my normal comfort range. And now, you know, <laughs> I get that stuff because I find out, you know, a certain artist worked on it or just my style, you know, my, my likes have changed or whatever. But anyway, if this title sounds familiar to you, it may sound familiar to you for a couple of reasons. For one, Paul covered an issue of this. Uh, that was ages ago now, but he covered a, a, an issue a while back. And also, I've talked this series up a number of times over the years on different shows, whether back to the bins. And I think I talked about it on, on something else. I don't know, Comics Monthly Monday or 
Tales of the JSA or something a while back. There's a there's an old episode out there somewhere of one of the shows I've been on where the entire episode I was talking about this series and I realized listening back to it later that I was calling it the wrong name like the entire episode I kept calling it um Creatures on the Prowl like the whole time but it's actually Creatures on the Loose. Anyway, the reason I picked this book is that to me this is Marvel's definitive werewolf. He always has been. And this, I picked this particular issue for a couple of reasons because uh, of who worked on the title. So the cover on this book is a great, great cover. And it's basically the man-wolf is falling at us, the reader, from a train trestle where this train is being derailed and falling into a big valley. It's kind of like, think about the end of Back to the Future 3, and you've essentially got the, the mental image of what's going on here. I acquired this issue as a kid. It was one of the ones I can very distinctly my mom brought home from work because she worked at a paper mill and they recycled, you know, paper and they recycled a lot of comics in the in the making of the pulp for the paper that they made. And so she would bring comics home all the time. And somewhere in my collection, I've got the the issue that she actually brought home and what was funny was that it's in great shape except there's a circle missing right where the werewolf's face was. It's like somebody had just punched a hole, you know, right where his his face was. So you couldn't actually see what he looked like. You could tell he was a monster, but the face was actually missing. There was a hole in the cover. But I read this as a kid and just absolutely fell in love with it. And it's funny because I instantly recognized the art style inside because uh, I had a grandmother that, for whatever reason... She had um, a few comics at her house, and every time I would go to her house, I would always read the same comics over and over again. And one of the issues that she had was issue number two of Logan's Run, which was an adaptation of the film, and it was all illustrated by George Perez. So I was very familiar with Perez's style from that book. Well, this is also George Perez, but about three years, I believe, prior to when he would work on, uh, on Logan's Run. This, I looked it up because I was really curious where did this fit in Perez's personal timeline. And this is really early in in Perez's uh, personal timeline of professionally published works. Um, According to Mike's Amazing World, this is only, let me see here, one, two, three, four, five, sixth down on the list. So, I mean... There may be other works that are not listed here, but according to, again, Mike's Amazing World and just strictly uh, Perez's penciling job on, you know, penciling work on interiors of books super early in his career. So for that reason, it is a little bit rough, but at the same rate, it is also very distinctly George Perez. So uh, the other credits on this, uh, Dave the Dude Craft, this is David Anthony Craft that would go on to create his own uh, fanzine in the 80s. Uh, he's the, credited as scripter on this. George Pace, uh, Pace Setter Perez is the penciler. Frank McLaughlin is the inker. Joe Rosen letterer. Phil, is this Rat? What is it? McCracken. McCracken. <laughs> or at least the McCracken is the colorist. <laughs> And Latween is the editor. And the uh, story is entitled Night Flight. Now, I did not write up a synopsis on this one because, because of a couple reasons. For one, because uh, of the late hour and everything, but or late, you know, late in the day. I was kind of up against the clock on this one. Plus, I've read this story a million times, and it's not the most involved or complicated story. So I figured I'd probably read better to just 
kind of do it off the cuff style. So as we start the story and right here on the very first page, a very dynamic opening to the story. And one thing I have to say, like the issue that you covered, uh, Paul, when you did Creatures on the Loose a while back, I remember, I don't know if you recall this, but I remember initially being a little bit perturbed that you had chosen that title because I'm like, damn, I love that book. Does he not know that I love that book? Isn't that every episode that you're not on? Yeah, I know. I know. But then that ended up being greatly mitigated by the fact that the issue that you picked was one of the pre-Perez issues that were actually illustrated by Tusca. Yeah, I remember I I, covered that with uh, Scott Riefen. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't have the the highest opinion of the uh, of the pre Perez issues. It's really my love of Perez that makes me love these issues, and probably owes in a lot to my love of the Man Wolf. Anyway, as this issue starts, we see basically the Man Wolf is just tumbling like ass over tea kettle down this slippery slope, ow, lands ooh, on ow, train ooh, tracks. Ow, <laughs> yeah, exactly. My shoe. Ow. ow. <laughs> He lands on train tracks, and as he's picking himself up, he is like face to face with an oncoming train. And it's only—it's credited here in the in the uh, the narration box. It says only instinctive action saves a wolfish life. He basically just bails out of the way, tumbles down another cliff, but then he runs back up the cliff, grabs a hold of the train, and basically becomes a were hobo. He just <laughs> hitches a ride, and he's completely worn out we're told because he's been on the run for 24 hours and there's even a note here saying that don't worry reader if you're confused we know it left off last issue with the arrest of the man wolf how did he get here everything will be explained kind of thing so the man wolf falls asleep and then we see that there's a couple uh, 'er ne'er-do-wells that are actually dynamiting the bridge ahead that the the train is actually about to go over and so i really like the sixth page in this because we see the bridge is dynamited and then the first panel on page six is just basically the train tumbling off the cliff but the second one i mean for 1974 and for a medium that is still arguably for children this is nightmarish you're getting this these two screaming faces of the two conductors that were up in the in the engine of the train as basically this this is them uh, you know realizing we're, we're doomed we're dead and uh, it just says something about how costly it would be for themselves. It's talking about, you know, the fact that these guys never bargained for, you know, what's happening to them. Well, inside the train, inside the boxcar where the where the man wolf is, he's tossed all over the place and actually ejected out of the boxcar that he's in. And he's able to kind of fling himself and grab the remains of the bridge while the rest of the train plummets, you know, far below and blows up and everything. But he's actually able to grasp the the side of the bridge and pull himself to safety. And he smells food and he starts going towards the source of the, pardon me, towards the source of the food. Um, But then just everything that's happened to him, his fight with Craven prior to this, uh, his lack of sleep and everything just kind of takes over and he collapses. Next morning, he's reverted back to his his human identity. Now, for those that don't know, this was actually one of the things that was a real big hook for me for this character is that the where the uh, man wolf, his real identity was actually John Jameson. He's J. Jonah Jameson's son and an astronaut, which I always just thought that was really cool. I, that somehow that always really appealed to me. Well, he's found by this this very nice hippie couple that basically, for whatever reason, they they don't think it's weird to just find this 
<laughs> this guy in this strange outfit out in the middle of nowhere who actually does tell them that he is a werewolf, but they don't believe him. They basically take him in and they put him inside of their, uh, you know, their Barbie van and they go driving and they're headed down to Georgia. So while they're driving down there, we get a little bit of a flashback a little bit. It's kind of catching us up a little bit on events prior to everything that's going on. And John Jameson was actually arrested over the protests of his father, J. Jonah Jameson, by what the hell was this guy's name? Is this Stroud? Simon? Yeah, Simon Stroud. And he was arrested and he convinced Stroud to let him swing by his apartment to pick up a change of clothes, basically. Well, while Stroud's waiting for Jameson to come out of the building, of course, Jameson grabs cash and a change of clothes and then bums a ride in the back of a van and gets the hell out of Dodge. And that's how he ends up uh, falling down that cliff at the beginning of this story is that as he's riding in the back of the truck and it gets dark and the moon comes out, he changes into a wolf and somehow falls out of the back of the truck. So now we're all caught up on everything that's happened so far. So the van arrives in, uh, what the hell was the name of this place? Lake Mont, Georgia, which I actually looked up to see, was this real or was this made up? Because a lot of times these things are made up. Nope, this is a real place. It's actually uh, in the northeast of Georgia. I never heard of it and I've never been there. And they go and it's this really nice place. It's uh, it's on Lake Rabin, which again, I never heard of. And they have this little uh, log cabin there and everything. And they give John a change of clothes. Uh, and he looks, he's totally hippie looking. And strangely, his new uh, friend, you know, John takes a, sh a shine to his uh, his nice chopper motorcycle, and the guy's like, "Yeah, sure, take it for a spin." I'm like, "You just met this guy," but they're very, you know, very accommodating, so that he lets John take off on his bike. And John's basically like, "I just need to get away from people. I need some time by myself." And I'm thinking, I would think that a werewolf would have nothing but time to themselves, but okay. So John goes for a ride, and. He's kind of lost in his own thoughts, and he's setting out. He's looking for Tallulah Gorge, which I had heard of that. I think I've actually been there. And see, this was the part of the story where it started to lose me a little bit because John's, you know, dressed in his hippie garb and, uh, you know, his loner hippie garb. He's riding this guy's motorcycle. He's headed to Tallulah Gorge. He stops off at his gas station, this very rural, hick-looking gas station, which, yeah, okay, it looks pretty authentic for Georgia. And the guy that comes out and gives him his filler up is wearing a wife beater t-shirt, a long pair of pants, and, and he's got leg. a friggin' peg leg. Now, I lived in Georgia for damn near 20 years, and I never encountered one person with a peg leg. Now, maybe if this was like at the coast, like at the dockyards or something, and he was like, you know, a longshoreman, maybe I could forgive that, but I'm thinking he's in the middle of rural Georgia, the hell's the deal with the peg leg? I, I, just... I thought every third person in Georgia had a, had a peg leg. <laughs> no, I'm sorry to disappoint you, my friend. Wait, uh, you see yeah, the name? Don't two of the dinner for geeks guys have peg legs? <laughs> <laughs> dinner for peg legs. Yeah, there you go. Do oh, you... you know, I didn't even catch that before. Yeah, CSA. That's uh, has something to do with the Confederate, the Confederate States of America. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I never even caught that. Yeah. I mean, I I don't know if that's what it's what they're saying, but I just it's just odd that you're in Georgia and it's CSA. You know. I and just they noticed... talk about Southern hospitality. Right. Or hostilities. Yeah, hostility. hostility. Yeah. You know what's funny is I just saw the uh, the sign that's in the window of that car right there. 
It says for sale, and it's the letter four, for sale. It reminds me of, I swear to God, I'm not making this up. We were headed over to uh, to my in-laws one time, and they lived in this place called The Plantation, which was like a uh, an enclosed community, like a private community. And we get to a four-way stop, and across the intersection from, from us, in front of the, the uh, this house, like a really nice house, they were having a... Uh, a yard sale and the sign in front of the house said yard and it was spelled correctly. And instead of sale, it said sell C E L L. Yeah. Well, was that in, so, where, what was that in Florida? Was that in, no, I was in Georgia. No, this is in oh, Georgia. Okay. Cause I lived in a place called the plantation down in, down in Tampa. So. Oh, okay. Anyway. So John, uh, despite he, he strikes up while he's getting gas, he strikes up a conversation with Peg Lake Pete and, uh, and he's basically like, so, yeah, I'm headed to the gorge. And uh, isn't that where they shot deliverance? And the guy's just very abrupt with him. He's like, yeah, whatever. And John picks up on it and he <laughs> says, Was something the matter. And the guy says, uh, listen, boyo. And I, again, I lived in Georgia almost 20 years. Nobody ever called me a boyo. Uh, says, those rocks are alive with rattlers. More than one tourist wished he hadn't gone down there. And John's kind of like, all right, whatever. And he's driving off feeling like, yeah, what a prick. So he actually does continue to the gorge. And he's at the gorge, and he's kind of lost in his own thoughts when somebody starts taking pot shots at him with a shotgun. So he goes and he hides in the weeds. And while he's hiding, of course, the, the moon comes out, and he changes into the man-wolf. And this is the thing I really liked about the man wolf. For one, I mean, Perez just his art is just gorgeous in this. Again, it's it's very early Perez. It's very what I would you know characterize as as hungry Perez. But I really like this. He very he draws a very uh, you know he cuts a really dynamic figure with the man wolf. But this to me is like what a werewolf looks like. He looks like a like a athletic man. But like with a with an animal's head, with a wolf's head. And the thing I really liked about Werewolf by Night was that while John Jameson was a hero, you know, he was an astronaut. He was a good man and he was trying to fight this lycanthropy as best he could. At the same rate, when he became the man wolf, he was make no mistake. He was a killer. I mean, he killed people. And in this, I could see where they were maybe trying to dial that back a little bit because maybe the character was gaining popularity or something. I'm not really sure. But in this, how they explain away his lack of bloodthirst. I mean, he's violent, but he's not like ripping people apart like he did in some of the earlier issues. And they kind of explain that away by the fact that it's been two nights since an actual full moon. So the moon is out, but it's not no longer a full moon. So now more of Jameson's, um, personality is being exerted on the man wolf so while he is still bestial he's not full out wolf he's he's a little more man than wolf anyway uh he takes out the guy that was shooting at him and then more rednecks come out of the woodwork here and he's just mopping the floor with these guys and then somehow miraculously Pegleg pete manages to get the friggin' drop on him and butts him in the head with his rifle and uh, and knocks him out and then this is where the story goes completely off the deep end. So they've knocked out a werewolf, and the pegleg guy's like, all right, we'll pick him up and, and let's bring him inside. Well, they end up bringing him inside to this very, it's basically <laughs> like a, a, a cross between like something out of a James Bond villain lair and a uh, like a moonshine still. It's like a it's, Jack Kirby still sight. Yeah, it's, it is super freaky. 
And Pegleg decides to teach one of his minions a lesson, so he knocks him off of... Now, this these types of things, to me, are the stuff of nightmares. I literally have dreams where I'm in a place like this with no handrails, and you know what I, you know what I mean? It's like, look how precarious that walkway is already, and then there's no handrails whatsoever. This is an OSHA nightmare. This and was he, not OSHA approved. Yeah, you exactly. Peg leg George the Animal Steel pushing you off the side of it. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. And the guy falls into a, a, a vat of bubbling moonshine or whatever the hell they're up to here. Mm, and he that's dies. Gonna, that's going to spoil that hooch. Yeah, exactly. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to drink of that. And the man, th- or, you know, the man thing, the, <laughs> the man wolf sees this. And for whatever reason, it sets him off. So he baffs the guy that's holding him and he just starts running away. And he gets a certain distance away and once again takes a rifle butt to the head that knocks him out. And I'm thinking, what a pussy werewolf. I mean, I love the man wolf, but I mean, that's twice now he's been smacked about with a rifle butt that knocks him out. His, so, his, his weakness isn't silver, it's wood. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, he's like, he's like Golden Age Green Lantern or something. Ouch, hickory. Oh, wow. So... Because he is the hero of the story and we just can't easily dispatch him, Pegleg orders him locked up as opposed to, I don't know, like shooting him in the face with that shotgun that everybody's carrying around or whatever. So they take him and they throw him in a cell. And of course, you know, when it's uh, when the sun comes out the next day, Jameson wakes up and Pegleg and one of his assistants come in and they're all like, whoa, wait, what the hell happened to the wolf guy? And it's like, how stupid are you? He's wearing the same clothes, and they they can't seem to figure out that, that Jameson and the werewolf are the same guy, which is really stupid. So we get a quick interlude with uh, Jonah, which I'm going to kind of skip past. So back to John Jameson. Now he's on the side of a cliff, and basically they're going to knock him off the cliff and kill him. And I'm like, why the hell didn't they just do this with the werewolf to begin with? Why... why the whole thing with locking him up and everything. And of course it's because, well, he's the hero of the story. They can't just off him, but they take him up to the side of this cliff and they're about to push him off and kill him. When this voice booms out saying, drop the guns or get blown apart. And this is the opportunity that Jameson needs to go into action. So he knocks uh, a couple of guys out of the way. One of them actually off the cliff peg leg grabs up his rifle and he starts taking shots at Jameson. Jameson runs to the top. And he finds that it was his uh, newfound hippie friend that was calling for him. And the guy's like, I don't actually have a gun, so we need to get out of here. I was just, you know, I was calling a bl- or you know, doing a bluff. So they climb to the top of, uh, of the gorge and up to where Jameson has his motorcycle and the hippie guy has his hippie van. And they're basically like, all right, let's get the hell out of here. There's no way that Pegleg Pete, having a Pegleg, is going to find us up here this quickly. John takes uh, off on his ah. motorcycle, and the hippie guy actually gets shot in the back of the head with a double barrel shotgun. Shit, he did get shot. I thought he hit him with the wood. You're right. Yeah, no, he Man. shot him. He murdered him. And and it's the peg leg guy. And the peg leg, he says something really stupid. What's he say here? He says, uh, there are other ways here than climbing. Or didn't you know? I'm thinking, what? He, uh, took, like, he, he took the elevator. Yeah, I guess. It's, it's a little silly. But it's pretty brutal because Pegleg takes the hippie van and drives off. And that last panel on page 30 is the hippie guy laying there just bleeding out. It's pretty brutal. So last page of the book is simultaneously really silly and also really awesome at the same rate. And I totally credit the awesome to George Perez because any other artist, I, I think 
this would this would be strictly relegated into the realm of really silly and ridiculous. But Perez's art really sells this. So the final final page of the book is Jameson on the motorcycle, and he's you know he's tearing ass out of there. He looks back over his shoulder, sees the hippie van, and realizes that it's not his hippie buddy. It's actually Pegleg, and Pegleg starts pumping rounds at him from the shotgun. So Jameson, you know, really pours on the speed. He's trying his best to get away from, you know, this van that's trying to run him down or shoot him when he feels the change coming on. So the very last panel of the book is John Jameson on a motorcycle as the man wolf. So it's mm-hmm. the man wolf on a motorcycle, which is just friggin' awesome. <laughs> and uh, and that's the end. That's where this one ends. Now, it goes in really strange places. It has been forever since I have read this story, but I the, the one thing I do remember is that something with that that giant you know Bond villain distillery has something to do with the hate monger. I don't know why. I can't remember what, but I do remember that that he makes an appearance next issue or, or somewhere down the line in this whole story. I, like I say, I haven't read it in a long time, but. Uh, I, I've always liked the man wolf. I always had a sentimental soft spot for him. I, I liked him, you know, because this was my introduction to him, but it, it, it immediately grabbed me somehow. And so as a kid, whenever I could find additional issues, I, I'd pick them up. And then I came to realize that, you know, he was kind of a peripheral Spider-Man character. And then right around the same time that I kind of discovered him here in back issues, he popped up in, um, I think it was Spectacular Spider-Man Annual, like number three or something, where Peter Parker and uh, and Doc Connors actually cured him, at least for a time, uh, from being uh, subject to the moons. Because it was, he had this thing. He'd he'd been on the moon. He was an astronaut, and while he was on the moon, he found a moonstone that somehow grafted itself to his neck. And that's why he kept turning into a werewolf. In that story in the Spectacular Annual, they actually cure him, at least for a time. But I think I think he ended up later on uh, becoming the man-wolf again. And I think he even for a time had control over his, uh, over his transformations. But anyway, I always really liked this character. And it's one of my great regrets that uh, about, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago, there was actually a man-wolf figure that was part of a Spider-Man toy line. And like a dumbass, I didn't pick it up. I wish I had. I really dig this guy. But so That's all I got on this one. But somebody gave you a man-wolf hero click. Yes! It is actually sitting right in front of me at my computer as we speak. I just picked it up. I have it in my hand. I have a, uh, this is the only hero clicks figure I own. And, uh, and Dr. Bill gave it to me. Trust me, don't go down that road. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't know. What do you guys think about the man wolf? I've always had a, again, you know, go to nostalgia. I've always had a, a soft spot for the man wolf. Uh, mm-hmm. I agree with you on the cover. I think it's awesome. I think it's, uh, I think it's penciled by George Perez and inked by John Romita Sr. Yes, it is. Yep. Which that's a hell of a combo. Yeah, it is. Oh, it's beautiful. It is a great cover. The interior like- art. I'm not as enamored with as you. Uh, really? It's, it's George Perez. There's no such thing as bad George Perez. Right. But there is mediocre George Perez, and I think that's kind of what we have here a little bit. Well, I, I'm i going to speculate that a lot of um, where Perez's influence is being dulled, let's say, is, is probably Frank McLaughlin, I, I'm imagining. Because you have to... 
remember how very different Perez was from, well, he, he was and he wasn't. I mean, I think he was trying to break out and, and do some, you know, some, some new and dynamic things, but at the same rate, he also, um, was somewhat in the beginning was somewhat imitative of some of the guys that were already working at, uh, at Marvel as well. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I, and, so, and some of it is definitely Frank McLaughlin. If you McLaughlin, if you look on, uh, what is it? Page 23 upper right corner, uh, peg leg Pete, mm-hmm. definitely way over inked there. Yeah. Um, go to the next page. J Jonah Jameson in the very middle panel also over inked. Yeah. Uh, down at the bottom, I don't know why Marv Albert is there. <laughs> yes. Uh, the the page when uh, when what's his name uh, I forget the the cop Stroud when he comes bursting in the door I I hate that panel. <laughs> uh, you know <laughs> his legs are coming up to his chest. He's got no torso. Uh, what's the positioning with the fist there? The head down between the shoulders. But that's I think very that's a terrible much a panel. Kirby. It's very Kirby esque at the same rate though. I disagree <laughs> really i do not think that's kirby-esque i think that's just a bad really that, i think it's a bad I, panel with bad inking hmm you don't think that's a kirby pose uh, i think it may be a kirby pose poorly drawn well yeah that's what i mean i i, I think he's going for uh you know i like i, I, said, I think it's, it's, it's a kirby pose with bad anatomy yeah i think it's it's meant to be kirby-esque or reminiscent of kirby but yeah poor poorly pulled off so, Which is I mean, fine for me because I, you know, Perez and, and Kirby, you know, you talk about dissimilar styles, you know. The top of uh, page 22, it looks like somebody cut open the, in the middle panel, top middle panel, looks like somebody cut open the uh, man wolf's head top, and his brain yes. pan is exposed. <laughs> somebody shaved his head. That's a bad haircut. So, I mean, you know, some of it's the inking, some of it's the coloring. Coloring, yeah. And some of it is the, the penciling. But this is... For George Perez, this is subpar. Page, uh, was it third, uh, 11 and 14, where you've got the, the hippie chick? The way her hair is done is like the way we're going to see George Perez later da- down the road on Teen Titans yep. and um, uh, Wonder fire. Woman. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, with, with, the, with the multiple curl within curls on the hair, very detailed. She reminds me of um, pre crisis before the, you know, before the reboot and everything of Wonder Woman. She reminds me of how Perez drew Hippolyta. Queen Hippolyta looked very much like that. Because there's that issue where Donna Troy got married, where at the end of the story, Hippolyta comes to Man's World to, to give her blessing. And I think she looks a lot like Hippolyta right there. And she was wearing white hot pants and a red halter top? <laughs> it's, that's, that's common in Greek myth. Oh. <laughs> uh, I like the way Perez draws the man wolf. I'm not wild about the way he draws the transformation. Hmm. But, you know. Like when he's in the bushes? Yeah. Oh, yeah, when he starts. Looks like he's taking a dump. Where he looks like Colonel, where he looks like Schultz from Hogan's Heroes (laughs) on 16. I know nothing! So, I mean, I'm willing to give a little bit on the fact that it's early Perez. And like I said, this, I don't think there's a such thing as bad Perez. This is just. This is as weak as Perez gets, which is better than a lot of artists ever get. Right. So, you know, for the, take that for what it is. The story's a little convoluted. Uh, <laughs> convoluted. That's French for stupid, right? Okay. Now, I, I mean, I'm just being honest. I, you know, when it, when it gets to the point where 
they take him into the cave and it turns into, again, the James Bond villain distillery. That's where it kind of jumps the shark to me. It's like, what what the hell is this? Yeah, why can't they just be hillbillies? Yeah, exactly. Why do they have to have this giant complex going? Yeah, exactly. With with a uh, New York Times it, crossword puzzle in the upper left. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this reminds me a lot of Roger Moore, Live and Let Die with uh, Katanga. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's not a bit. deep south instead of the Caribbean. What about the poor on, on that two two page spread? What about the poor dude up in the upper? Excuse me, in the upper left. He's 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 up on some sort of platform, like working a computer. Why right, do you have to yeah. go all the way up there for that? It's like the guy <laughs> who has to sit there, there and watch more. He's like he's like three feet from the flaming top of that uh, yeah. pit. If that shit bubbles over, he's done for. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, then what about the poor schmuck pushing the, the mine train down there, too? What it about the guy he's about rails. to push it into? <laughs> yeah, that's true. He's going to accidentally what? knock that guy off. <laughs> wow. So, I mean, I, I don't know about it. You know, he definitely went for the, let's go for the exotic. And, and I'm sure he was influenced by, like, a James Bond kind of thing. But I don't think he really gave any thought to what's the purpose of these things I'm drawing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's 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 just just looking at that makes my palms sweat. Like, you know, that everything in this place is an accident waiting to happen. <laughs> well, we want to do letter grades. Sure. <laughs> you sound yeah. enthused. Uh, oh, you know what? I'm going to go first. I am enthused. I'm, I think the cover is really good. I'm going to give it a B plus. I think it's it's very solid. It's dynamic. It's action filled. And it's George Perez and John Rabita Sr. <laughs> it just don't get better, much better than that. I mean, they're all better. I don't know if it's iconic, but it would definitely call my attention to it and make me want to have it. Mm-hmm. The interior art, again, I think it's probably among the weakest of George Perez. I think some of the uh, some of the anatomy is a little off. Some of the poses are a little off. Some of the character models are not what I like. Uh, I'm going to say the worst George Perez gets is... is at his worst, he's average, so I'm going to give it a C. Uh, and the story is kind of dopey, but kind of pulls you in, and it's very readable. I'm going to say a C plus on this story, and overall give the book a, a, a C plus or a B minus. Bill? Uh, I was just noticing that in the opening pages, the two guys that blow up the railway, that, that uh, blow up the train trestle bridge with the train on it, Mm-hmm. The one guy with the binoculars has a brown shirt and a hat, and I believe he is the guy, when you go scroll through the story, he is the same guy that gets knocked into the pit by yes. Pegg. Yes, he is. Yep. Except so, he's got a purple shirt then. Yeah, but it's the same. He's it's like He, he looks kind of like he's got a Clark Kent model there. He's got the glasses, the dark hair, the build. So, so yeah, he, yeah, he got his, I guess. He looks like Jeff Goldblum. All right, all right. Chaos theory. Bridge. Uh, uh. This is what happens if you don't put up a handrail. Yeah. See, when I when I when I realized that later in the story that they're the same two guys, that to me was a little bit weird because well, the other guy doesn't get killed, right? No, not yet. Not yet. No. <laughs> he might. I, I, I'm just saying, not yet. Um, but you know what I mean? I mean, it's just it's awfully coincidental that that. This is the event that brings the man wolf to town in the middle of nowhere, presumably. And then later on, it's the same, you know, these same two guys are connected. Sounds like a know, Kenny Rogers song. 
bring the man wolf to town. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, agreed though. Um, yeah, the cover. Uh, I'll give the cover a B plus. Interior art. Yeah, it's even early George Perez is still better than than some other art, and I'm gonna give that a B as well. Um, did I say story or did I say art? I'm so tired. <laughs> uh, be, be on the cover, be on the art and the story. Um, again, 70s, wacky. Although some of the whole still thing, I'm, I'm going to drop it just to like a C plus. So I guess we're looking at a B minus overall for me. I'm trying my best to be fair and, and not just see this through rose tinted glasses. Um, but I have to be honest, the cover to me is an A. It's a straight up A. I, I love this cover. And uh, I, I just I think it is uh, iconic. I like it because I like the use of color in it. I like the I like how it's inked. It's beautifully inked by Ramita. But also it really uh, it really works in all of the perspective. Where a lot of covers like this, the longer you look at it, the more the, the flaws start to come out and you realize, well, the perspective's not quite right here, and this isn't quite right. But I'm not finding any of that with this. I mean, it, it looks very dynamic, and it looks like what it's supposed to represent. And I really like the look of the man-wolf, too. So it's, it's a straight-up A for me. I really enjoy this cover. Um, the interior art's really hard because I love it. I really do. The 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 uh, issues that I have with it, really, I put at the feet of the inker and the colorist. But taken as a whole with, you know, with the inking and the color and everything, I'd probably have to go with uh, probably say a B minus because there's definitely room for improvement. And there are portions of it that I don't like. But this really sucked me in as a kid. I mean, instantly made me go from having no clue who this character was to by the end of it going, I like this guy. I want to read more, which is what a comic should do. That's kind of a comic's job. And I, I just look at that very first page, and if the cover didn't grab me, that interior first page definitely does. Of you know the man wolf picking himself up off the train tracks, and here's this train like just about to hit him. I love that. I love the art throughout that beginning sequence. Beyond that, it does waver quite a bit. And again, I'm not sure you know where that falls. Is it on Perez? Is it on the inker? I'm not sure, but uh, I'd still say B minus on that story. You know, like I say, it did its job. It pulled me in everything. But honestly, it really is the art more than anything else that pulled me in. It was the fact that it's it's a monster story, beautifully rendered. Um, the story itself is OK, again, up to the point where they go into the cave. And then it just it, it just turns a you know corner into just like what the hellville. So um but then, of course, you know, you got the end of the story with the uh, with the motorcycle chase and turning into a werewolf or riding a motorcycle. So it's just it's all over the place. It's very wacky, but it's fun wacky. So I don't know. For this story, I'd probably say a, a, a C plus. It's it's better than average, but it's not, you know, it, it's nothing to write home about. It's not great, but it's fun. So, yeah, those are my overalls. I don't know what that average is out to. What's that average out to about a B, I guess? I'd say this is a B book. I think that oh, yeah. averages to an F. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, having re-redisposed of the monster, <laughs> I think we'll move on to book number three. It's all about Bill. And we have a Marvel trifecta. <laughs> was, was there not any other <laughs> company that had any 
I guess didn't have any uh, werewolf stories that we were in. Oh, I'm sure there are. We just didn't. Yeah, it, it wasn't the first thing that came to our minds. I didn't even think of anything but Marvel, to be honest with you. We're talking about monsters and comics. I just automatically went to Marvel. I never even really thought about <laughs> Unless we're going to go to like EC and, and other things, Marvel, you know, in the modern, the more modern age, Marvel is definitely the innovator on comic book monsters. Mm-hmm. Well, and mine comes to us all the way from 1992. And I picked pick this because when I thought Wolf and I thought Marvel, well, I didn't think Marv Wolfman. I thought Cap Wolf. <laughs> <laughs> because to be honest with you, I've never read the Cap Wolf stuff. So this was an excuse for, for me to actually seek it out. And um, this is this comes to us, and this information comes from Mike's Amazing World. And we have Captain America number 405, cover date late August 1992, on sale date June 16th, 1992, cover price 125 And the title of the story is Dances with Werewolves, mm-hmm. writer Mark Grunwald, penciler Richard Levins, inker Steve... Alexandrov, letterer Joseph Rosen, and colorist Gina Going Rainey. And on the cover is by Richard Levins and Danny Bolandi. Danny Bolandi. Bolanati. Bolanati? Bolandi? Bolandi? Oh, yeah, there is an A there. My bad. Sorry. And the cover has a the body, the, the torso, the shield of Captain America raised up high. And below the shield, it says Cap Wolf, and hidden in the shadows behind the shield is the fate is that is the silhouette of a werewolf with green eyes, and looks like he stole a set of false teeth or something, <laughs> a, a sharp set of false teeth. But he and he's, gr- you know, growling behind the shield, and uh, it says Man and Wolf Part Four of Six. So we're jumping in the middle of a story, but we jump r- and I have no synopsis written, but I think it'll be good. So basically, we have Tina Turner, or Grace Jones, uh, (laughs) is over a prone Captain America strapped to a table. And this is Dr. Nightshade. And uh, she is getting ready to inject her um, werewolf formula. And uh, she says, "Get Captain, get ready to howl. And the next two pages is a transformation of Steve Rogers um, into a werewolf. And as he, he, the serum takes hold, his, his muscles grow even more. He grows hair. Somehow, don't ask me how, his ears rip out of his cowl. I guess they're razor ears. I'm not quite sure. But hey, you got to have, if you're going to have a cap wolf, you got to have his ears sticking out of his cowl. So with this n- new strength, he is able to bust out of his restraints and uh, knock Dr. Nightshade on her ass. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I don't know if there was an assistant behind her or is that... Oh, no, that was the other guy, Dr or what is the guy's name dromud she's got an arm coming out of her ass yeah that's because she landed on the other guy who's trying to mind control him i was gonna say that'd be a cool power right there (laughs) and cap now has like these instinctual he's not he just thinks on a bestial level so he's you know trapped out find way out opening and then he sees a shiny thing Ooh, shiny mine shiny thing mine take and he grabs his shield and he's (laughs) All the while, he's not even listening to this to the pair of uh, purple eyes that are trying to mesmerize him, mesmerize him. And he busts out the door, runs up a flight of stairs, and comes out into the daylight to this uh, town where I guess it's like it's actually a werewolf town, but the people in here are, are under control or <laughs> what? <laughs> it's okay, just keep going. Oh, 
So he comes out, oh, bright, sun, too bright, feeling sick inside. And then uh, next we cut back to Dr. Nightshade and, um, oh, what was this guy's name? Droman. Dr- Droman. Anyway, he's got the worst haircut. Oh, he's got like the Galactus hair we were t- talking about on the uh, <laughs> Facebook page earlier. Just, you know, few people, why, why aren't you stopping him? Stop that wolf. And everybody just, what? But he'll tear us apart. So with a wave of his hand, poof, he turns them all into werewolves and says, go hunt him down. So Cap Cap Wolf is running through the woods, you know, thinking, woods, fine, run free, need to run, need to run, need to run. Gotta go walkies, gotta find a tree, gotta find a tree. <laughs> so we cut away to D-Man, who's pretty much a mindless zombie right now. I don't know why, I don't know what happened in the story. Um, and Jarvis is walking out, is is out escorting him around with Miss Rosenthal. Like, that was Cap's old girlfriend, right? Bernie. Bernie. Bernie, yeah. So they're out, and she's making, you know, uh, Jarvis suddenly decides he has something better to do. <laughs> Splits, leaving them. And she's walking around, and, you know, she makes a crack about a mindless entertainment, and an oh, realize, oh, yeah, you're a mindless, you know. Shouldn't this guy be under some type of medical supervision? We're just going to let him walk. We're just going to lead him by the arm and let him walk What's around. Wrong with well, I guess his mind has been wiped or something. Because he's just like a just like a blank cut out his brain. <laughs> because, if you, because his you bloody his, baboon. Because his eyes have that comic trope of like being white. Like he's just, my, you know, blank, a, a blank slate. So uh, as she's talking, a guy comes and snatches her purse. And she points at the guy and... And tells uh, D-Man, go get him. <laughs> he just stands there. And in that in she that next panel, one of those little control boxes, like in Spock's brain. And in the next shot, where she says, "Blast it, stand there like a big dummy. I'll chase him. I swear that's Ronald. That's that's Arnold Schwarzenegger with red hair." Yep. <laughs> next, we cut back to Scott's favorite Avenger after Mantis, Doctor Druid. That is the creepiest church I've ever seen. I know. Well, it's more like a, uh, it's a druidic church. It's filled, all the regular, all the regular conventional religious symbols were taken out and replaced with druid stuff. I gotcha. But still, frog bear over there. Yeah, I know. Those things are pretty weird looking. So Dr. Druid in his onesie and his purple cloak are going around and... He's lost weight. He looks good though. Yeah, yeah. He does look a little more svelte. He's, you know, his hair looks a little better. And now I'm not sure is he looking at the moonstone underneath that glass jar because he says it, it could be because see I was gonna ask you how much it, of the story you had read because I'm pretty sure I that go, John I Jameson go, popped up in this story yeah because this is the only I just read popped right in the middle of the story and he says what is this blood red red crystal suspended in this bell jar it is the markings reminiscent of the moon's pockmarked face and I feel. And the feel of an object of great pre preternatural preternatural power. Right. So yeah, I think he, it could be uh, John's moonstone. Except maybe they should have drawn it red and not light purple. But through this book, the the color palette is muted. I know. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, they may think that they're being, you know, you know, look how artsy we are. Yeah. So then we have the big smackdown uh, as um, a helmet goes flying behind Dr. Druid and a man puts on the helmet you do not belong here and then we have 
Oh, excitement. <sighs> Battle of the Minds. <laughs> As a purple blotch of light is just in between the two men in midair. And uh, Dreamed and Druid. Get it on. Ding, ding. Nearby in the woods, Cap is uh, finding some other wolfen friends. Maybe some wolfen ladies. Well, hello, ladies. <laughs> what have we here? And as he sees them and evades them, leaps out of the way, then he happens to come upon Wolverine. Don't ask me. Where the hell did he come from? Well, I mean, we are in the middle of the story. Maybe somebody was, because Wolverine seems to be pretty mindless too, so maybe he's under some type of thrall. So Wolverine tries to attack Cap Wolf, and frankly, I mean, he gets a a cut in in on Cap Wolf, and uh, that panel, though, on page 15, yeah. I don't know. I just don't like it. He looks more like Lassie Wolf to me. Or, you, know, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know. down the well. <laughs> bark, but, bark, bark. Uh, and he even goes, ow, ow. And then uh, he, he's in pain. And ba- basically, he bitch slaps Wolverine and puts some nice scars across his face and chucks him yep. in, chucks him like a bowling, you know, uses him as a bowling ball to knock out all the other werewolves. <laughs> And then he just now he's kind of gone a little bestial. He's lost whatever um, whatever rational pieces of thought he was holding on to after his fight with Wolverine. He's he's gone now. He's gonna go in like full beast mode. Uh, cut back to the big uh, mental showdown as two guys just, just having a stare off. How <laughs> boring! First one to blink dies. All right, and I have to be honest with you. Ever since we've started attending cons fairly regularly, I really have begun to judge my comic book characters by the practicality of their outfit. He could not fit into a restroom stall in that outfit. How would you even sit down and take a crap with that stupid... What, what with is that? the helmet? Well, not just the helmet. With you know, I mean, for one thing, it looks like he took it off the front of one of my old bicycles. But also, that thing he's wearing is like the cummerbund there with the he's big... He's got the Hyperion cummerbund. Yeah, what the hell but, but is that? With suspenders on it. With sus- You'd have to shit stand. <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous. Wait, wait, I gotta take this off. It's like a truss. Uh, oh, my back. Oh, and then he's garbage. got those like leg guards on the side. So again, you can't sit down. And then if oh. he does try, try try to sit down, those horns on his helmet are gonna scrape the inside of the stall. It turns out <laughs> his superpower is he never has to shit. <laughs> He could just teleport the shit straight out of his colon into the toilet. And done. That's ridiculous. They call me Turlet Man. But then at the same rate, Dr. Druid has to take his outfit practically all the way off to take a crap. So. Or maybe this he has a like little the, flap in the back. Is, this is like the, uh, the well-built, form-fitting <laughs> outfit, Dr. Druid. This is not the same guy from the Avengers. Right. But what's with the ponytail? And was the guy in the Avengers like pretty much bald? Yeah. yeah he, he was an old yeah, fart. He was older. This Maybe, is not the same guy. Maybe this is Dr. Druid the, the second or jo- Dr. Druid Jr. or something. No, they probably did some druidic de-aging crap or something. I'm, I, I wouldn't surprise me. This is the 90s. so. But instead of, st- I mean, Dreadmond or whatever the hell his name is, looks physically imposing. So instead of just standing there There's and having a of- stare off, why does he just kick his ass? He looks like he could do it. I mean... He could just Dr. go. Druid is not like physically. I mean, he's not a physical hero, right? He's all like no magic. He's all, but he's all magic. Like a physical and, hero here, and the power of his mind. I don't know. They're not lose concentration for even a moment. 
before uh, uh, first one of us who blinks loses. Meanwhile, <laughs> is, is that what he says? Yeah, it says that's his line there at the bottom. Oh, uh, Lord. Oh, you're right. <laughs> I thought you were making that shit up. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> it really is a stare off then. <laughs> stare off, bro. You and me right now. Oh, that's ridiculous. Yeah, I, that's yeah. flat, so, ridiculous. So, and and Dr. Druid, I guess he's not really uh, worried about killing people. Says, uh, yet he is resisting me. I am exerting enough sheer mental force to give him a cerebral hemorrhage. Wow. How can he still be standing? Uh, now we cut back he to Bernie. He laced his helmet with Preparation H before he went. <laughs> so we cut back to Bernie, and uh, she couldn't track down the guy that stole her purse and she goes back to find d-man and he's disappeared if he's a vegetable how did he wander off that's ridiculous <laughs> you know i've heard bad things about this story over the years but never actually read it i'm starting to think it's well justified some of the things i've heard about this so now suddenly we have another guy which i'm assuming was introduced in an earlier comic and he's called moon hunter and he's <laughs> kind of <laughs> talks in some slang Moon Hunter to base, found Flaggy. Looks like he's gotten, he's got away from your golden boy, Wolverino. Oh my God. <sighs> this is Bargain Basement Lobo, who's Lobo, already yeah. Bargain Basement Wolverine. So you've got a parody of a parody. And apparently he has a silver laced rope <laughs> that he hooks, hooks around Cap Wolf's neck, which you're right, he looks like Lassie Wolf. Lassie Cat. <laughs> <laughs> must get back to Timmy. <laughs> must find Timmy. Timmy's in danger. And he pulls uh, Moon Hunter right off of his little sky cycle, which smashes into a building. And then he proceeds to drag him down the street. <laughs> Let's go for a drag. Fall. Knocked, knocked wind out of me. Padding took the brunt of it. Didn't anticipate such strength. Not going to let go. Make him wear himself out dragging me. <laughs> that's how I've that's how I've defeated everybody I've ever fought. <laughs> On my weight will make them drag them me around until they get tired. <laughs> so back in Dreadman's lair, uh, they're still fighting until uh, some Doctor Druid gets distracted, I guess, by... Hey, look uh, at my have, dragon head, man. What's that? Oh, it's a wolf headdress over the... Ah! If he realizes what I'm up to, it's all over. Bam! Aha! Got you! On that bottom panel, on a quick glance, doesn't that look like a pizza box that's right there on his leg? <laughs> he looks kind of like Robert Goulet. <laughs> uh, so, basically, he's... Uh, He's down and out. You've been defeated, Anthony, overwhelmed by my superior might. There is there, there is room in this world for but one supreme druid, and henceforth that man shall be me. Death awaits the vanquished, and a lot of pizza. <laughs> and then nearby, we once again have Tina Turner or Grace Jones, depending on how you want to look at her. Uh, and um, Cap has returned back to back to town. And uh, he decides he has to find the doctor woman and make her change him back. And, uh, you know, she's like, ah, he must have eluded Wolverine. And she's like, oh, my pheromones are working that allowed him to return. <laughs> she's, she's got she's 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 got pheromones because she's the queen of the werewolves. It's good to see wow. the old queen of the werewolves hasn't lost it. Wow. Why is she wearing bands of razor wire on her shoulders because it was the 1990s it was the 90s mm -hmm. jesus those bands around her wrist her ass 
and her legs. I, I think it's funny that, that Cap is still dragging that idiot with him. I didn't so. even see him. He's <laughs> in the panel. I missed him. <laughs> but look, look at the proportion on Cap in that last shot. Of yeah, yeah, exactly. His, look at the size of his freaking thighs and then compare that to the size of his feet. <laughs> he's got these... He's, Massive legs, little tiny werewolf feet. His feet should just crack <laughs> under the weight. Yep, <laughs> that's what he's so pissed off about. Why does he got goat? Why does he have goat legs? <laughs> oh my god! Oh, the oh, the art in this book, please. <laughs> and I'm not even. There's you a complaint about Don Perlin. <laughs> there's a second story, but we don't need to do that one. That's that's a backup story with uh, Diamondback, and it's got crossbones in it. And at the end of that, they've got. Is that Jack-O-Lantern and two guys I've never seen before? Yeah, I wondered who the Batman guy was. Who the hell is oh, he's he? He's uh, Batwing. He was a Daredevil villain. Really? Uh, oh, I guess they were all Daredevil. Jack- Batwing or Nightwing? I, no, not Nightwing, obviously. Bat- it's well, who's the guy on with the, with the sword? With the, like, the That's catchers? A, the he's got, Seraph he, or something like that, isn't it? He's got, he's got like, a checkers, uh, a, a, a catcher's chest plate on. Him I, him, I do not recognize. Is there he, say their names? Because he the guy that was in, um, he, he was he, in, um, uh, God damn it, not Secret Wars. What's the name of that? Um, Contest of Champions. He's like the Seraph or something like that, oh, right? He's like the the Arabian hero. Yeah, yeah. Well, because even even Crossbones is he's confused because he says, "Who the?" F- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the uh. What's his name? Batwing? He's a son of Silvermane. Oh, okay. Uh, a cyborg? Uh, well, Silvermane becomes a cyborg at some point. Yeah, yeah, he was that old fart in Spectacular Spider-Man, right? Yeah. Yeah, because in this, a, in this little second boss? story, Diamondback is basically, I guess she's stealing Cap's blood, some plasma. Um, I'm surprised uh, Hank Pym doesn't slap her. And uh, I think that's Hank Pym, or maybe is not. Is that Pym? I was no, wondering. No, that's O'Brien. That's O'Brien. That's uh, okay. Chief yeah. O'Brien? Yeah, uh, that's why he's got all those. He's packing all that heat on his back. He was. I think he was from Iron Man. I think he was a. Uh, it was Michael O'Brien. He, he was a guardsman at one point. Yeah, point, I, I think that may be him. Except he had red hair. Yeah, that's that's what made me think it was Hank Pym. Because uh, well, what yeah, what the hell is with all that artillery? If he tries to scratch his back, he's going to shoot himself in the ass. <laughs> what the hell is? Oh man! And then yeah, this, and is, it, this is '90s in a really bad way. And then Diamondback gets in a car with crossbones, like nobody would see. You got, you know, unless maybe the windows distorted, and the and the license plate on the back says "Why not me?" And they drive cross country. You could tell that because the next couple panels, there's a picture of the United States with a line drawn across it, like Indiana <laughs> Jones, <laughs> Interstate <laughs> 80, <laughs> yeah, and exactly. a fast moving car. They went to Sri Lanka. They went to the Colorado Rockies, where they climbed the mountain and ran into the three guys that Crossbones has no effing clue who they are. So Why the three of them would be together is beyond me, too. But this is different art in this story compared to the... I, I, actually, you know what? I almost say that the art in the second story is better than the art in the first one, because at least, at least the bodies are proportioned right. I will agree with you. You know, because that's Larry Alexander in this, for the pencils. I could be wrong about this, but I do think that uh, that Rick Levin's got better, if I'm not mistaken, because I see great potential in it. Yeah, well, it's just not real. Levin's good did either. the cover, and the cover's not. I I mean, except maybe the head's a little in a wrong. I don't know. The head looks a little right. off on, on, yeah. on the cover. 
like maybe he should have shortened up the neck or turned the the neck a little more because it but i mean i think i think the cover looks pretty good but inside it's just you know eh, wow just especially when cap changes and mm, yeah muscular well yeah well, that too, because they say something that his body nice. reacted made him even stronger than the average werewolf because of the super soldier serum so it's kind of why he's like really muscular but the proportions don't stay the same throughout the book yeah there's right. no consistency to the way he's drawn no, no there's not I mean that 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 first panel when he's first fully converted on uh, page four. Again, look at the size of his legs. Compare that to the size of his arms. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's just ridiculous. Then well, uh, look at Jarvis on page nine in the uh, third panel. Why does he have retard head now? Me. He's got pig face. He's got like. He, he, got he looks like. He looks like one of from the old Twilight Zone a- episode where they take the masks off and their face is turned into a mask. Right. Like. Yeah. On on page ten, the bottom panel with Doctor Druid, it's like he's going for a dramatic angle, but like to no end and for no purpose. Check out my nose hair. Yeah, it's sorry, you're not Gil Kane, dude. And and Cap really does look like a collie. Yeah, he does. Wolverine <laughs> is drawn horribly. Who's a good Cap? Who's a good Cap? You. This whole uh, this whole boy. issue. Like it cries out to me that that this uh, what's his name Rick uh, Rick Levins Rick Levins said you know I want to draw like that guy you know the one who invented cable I want to draw like him uh, right like Liefeld yeah that's that's what I want didn't didn't he didn't he make Deadpool too I'm gonna be famous for making Capwolf cute little pooch maybe I got a milk bone <laughs> <laughs> I I it's I think the artwork is terrible. I'm I'm willing to give the story somewhat of a pass because we're on what is it part four of six and I never read one two three five or six <laughs> so I'm willing to give it somewhat of a pass because maybe there's a lot of stuff I'm missing but the artwork is is atrocious this is this artwork to me is everything that was wrong with the nineties what's up with the the uh, the wolf down at the bottom of page eight why is he laughing so much eight page eight yeah he does look like he's laughing. It's like, ah, Cap's a wolf. Oh, wait a minute, I am too. Well, that green one to his left right there looks like Swamp Wolf or something. What the <laughs> hell is that thing? Aha, <laughs> uh-huh, you're a green wolf. <laughs> well, I guess they can't They can't turn into wolves. Like, this is a society, a town of wolves, and they, they can't turn into, uh, um, they can't turn into wolves in, in the daytime, but suddenly he can make them turn into wolves and chase them down. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> uh, you know what? This this book has a reputation, and I feel it's deserved. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the concept's kind of fun. Wolf, you know, Cap as a as a as a werewolf, Cap Wolf. Now that said, <laughs> if I saw this in the fifty cent bin, I'd pick it up. I like the cover. In fact, I like the cover a lot. All right, I just solved a mystery for myself. Cap four hundred two, Man and Wolf Part One. Right there on the cover, the search for John Jameson begins. So this is connected to the Man Wolf. I thought it was, but again, I like I say, I've never read it. I just, I've acquired the issues, but I've never actually read it. <laughs> now you're like, I don't know if I want to. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, I I have always heard that, uh, you know, despite you know some of the epic things he had done in his run, that that Grunewald's run kind of kind of runs out of steam at the end. I, I'll tell you what, though. The prior issue to this, I don't know who did the cover, uh, Cap 404, 
uh, the uh, cover image is uh, Wolverine and Cap locked in uh, Mortal Kombat, and they're falling through a like a door and like off somebody's front porch. That's actually a badass cover. It looks pretty. Oh good. yeah, yeah. I'm looking at Mike's Amazing World. I see that 403. Oh, that's that's where Moon Hunter. Yeah. Geez is in there but it looks like it uh, this may be like the chapter where it jumps the shark or jumps the wolf because the next one jumps the collie you've got you've got cat oh my god in the charge with wolf pack attack you've got wolf oh, i think i picked that up Spain. i think i picked that up at yancey i think and i got that part six here you go paul cap wolf versus cable i think you totally called it <laughs> Back off, fur face, and I'm not making that shit up either. <laughs> I wish you were. <laughs> Who will be the Lord of the Wolves? Oh what? my god. It's like the Lord of the Dance. 408's pretty rough, too. The final fate of Cap Wolf. And you've got Cap Wolf, again, looking very much not what like the... Wolf. Oh, he's fighting the demonic version of. Uh... Oh, I was going to say of Captain America, but that's like. <laughs> yeah, the... that's the, of the that's Captain. The or something? Yeah. Yeah, that's war. That's an wow. oh, Infinity War. Mm. That's, wow. he looks, that's... He, he, I don't mean to insult you, Scott, but he looks like when you make that really silly face for Chris's <laughs> pictures. Yes, he's making our face. <laughs> yeah, he looks ridiculous. Oh my god! Yeah, this looks like a rough era, of Captain America. I'm afraid to say. You think? Although Modam looks pretty damn cool in 413. So I don't know. Wow. Okay. Modam. All right, so Bill. What do you think? Oh, you got you. you I thought you guys were going to grade it first. Did you guys grade, okay. grade it? Oh, yeah, I'll grade it. You want to go, Scott, or you want me? I'll go. I'll go ahead and grade <laughs> it. Um, the cover is a tough one because you know I I agree with Bill. I think the cover is pretty damn cool. The shield may be a little out of proportion, or maybe it's just small. It's really hard to tell right there. But I do like I like what he was going for here. Um, I'd say out of the six Cap Wolf covers I just looked at, this is the best one. I don't know. I like the one with with him and Wolverine tussling a little bit better. But this is a good. I mean, this is a good cover. Um, I'm gonna say a. I'm gonna say a B because there's definitely room for improvement. But I mean, it catches your eye. If I saw this on the stands back in the day, I, I probably would have snagged it for a buck twenty five. It looks interesting. Cap is a reading. Go what? The, yeah, what the hell that, did I waste my money on exactly, and then go back to the comic shop and yell at somebody. What you sell me this shit for? Um, so yeah, be on the cover, interior art, you know, I'm going to be a little merciful on the interior art because I do see a lot of promise in it. Um, it's not great by any stretch, but like I say, I think that if I'm not mistaken, if Rick, if Rick Levins is the guy, I think he is, I do think he got much better. Um, it does crack me up on that double page splash page. So that third panel of cap changing really looks like, um, Oh, what's his name? That country singer there. Um, Hank Williams Jr. <laughs> he really looks like him right there. Oh, <laughs> oh you're ready. Um, Change in. But that said, I mean, I'm not going to be overly generous with the art either. I'm going to say the art's like a C minus. Because I don't think it's horrible, but there's vast room for improvement here. But there's there's places where I can see potential in it. Um, the story is really tough to, to grade because it's part of an ongoing thing. So who knows? I mean, what seems really stupid here might have been playing into something else overall. 
the thing with Wolverine seems to come right out of left field, but obviously Wolverine had to have been around as part of a story, so... Yeah, he was in the issue before, based on the cover. Yeah, and I always like seeing Wolverine trying to scratch his claws on Cap's shield. Always makes for a cool effect. I don't know. Um, story... Story, I'm just going to go right middle of the road. I'm going to go with C. I mean, it's it's pretty damn stupid, but has potential at the same rate. So, yeah, I hope that doesn't seem too wishy-washy. I think that all overall works out to probably a C. So, yeah, C issue. All right. I really like the cover. I think this cover is borderline iconic. Yeah. Um, I'm going to give it a B plus. I really like it. I, I do agree the shield is too small, and the head is kind of located at a strange angle. But other than that, it really is eye-catching. I, I have no doubt I would buy this issue based on this had I seen it on the stands back then. I agree with you pretty much totally on the story. Silly, but part of a bigger epic. Uh, readable, so see. Uh, but I can't I can't go with you on the art. I think this art is horrendous. I really don't see the potential there. And every, every time I see one image that looks even slightly okay, it's usually followed up by one that looks like total shit. <laughs> so I'm going to say F. I do not like the artwork at all. So I would give this book a C minus, and that's really being because it's being carried by the cover. Right. Hmm. I don't think that's unfair. Yeah, I think I'm going to give the cover uh, a B, maybe a B. Yeah, I think a B plus. It's if there was a few things changed, I think it would be an A cover. Like I'd like to see maybe somebody else draw this and see what they could do with it. You know, like a Neil Adams or or. A Perez, even a burn would be interesting to see. Um, uh, so that being said, the inside art, ooh, I guess I'm going to be piffy and say I'm going to give it a D for Dr. Druid. <laughs> D for Druid. And the story, yeah, maybe this story is would be a little better if we knew the whole, you know, fill, if we could fill in the blanks for what has happened before to explain a few things. But I got to give it points for um, for the big stare down, the big druid stare down, and um, and yanking Moon Hunter off his thing and dragging a guy down the street. That was hysterical. So I'm gonna raise it up. I'm gonna give it like a C plus on the story, just for what we're given here. So I guess that gives us like a B. B. I guess it's it's like a C for me. Cool. Well, all right. Guess we have reached the end. So next time on an all new Back to the Bins, what are we covering? Something themed, well, something or something. It depends. Themed. It depends on our recording schedule, whether we're going to do uh, Frankenstein or vampires next time. Oh, right. and just uh, let me correct myself. The uh, villain on the back page is apparently Blackwing, not Batwing. Ah, okay. And I see I his first Spider-Man appearance as Daredevil one eighteen. Mm. I think Spider-Man fought him once. Uh, I think he may have in a Silvermane storyline. I'm trying. I'm thinking of a. There was an issue during the McFarlane, you know, the Michelinie McFarlane run on Amazing, where, it, the, like, in the opening sequence of the book, Spider-Man was fighting somebody very bat-like, and I think it was right around the time that the first um, Burton Batman film was out. I think, and it might have been this guy, but I, I don't know. Oh, did you guys see the picture on the uh, on the letters page? On the letters it's, page of this issue? Yeah, yeah. Oh, the werewolf dude? Yeah, that's Rick Levins. Yeah. <laughs> it says, 
Here, take a squint at this picture, folks. What you're looking at is an unretouched photo of our peerless penciler, Rick Levins. <laughs> is this guy affected by his work or what? And he's got like a Wolfman mask on and uh, claws. That's funny. Ha- hamming it up for the camera. Hmm. Might as well have fun. He can't draw. Oh, oh, harsh. I wonder what became of this dude. Actually, I think he passed away. Did he? Yeah. See, now don't you feel bad? I do. Thanks for nothing. You should. You shouldn't have killed him. I killed poor Rick. Rick, uh, what's it? Leonardi or whatever his name is. <laughs> Rick Leonardi. When did he pass away? I'm looking up. Did you already look it up? No. Are you saying that? You have no idea. I'm scared too now. Poor Rick. Oh, he died in 2010. 1950 to 2010, so he lived, he was 60. So sad. Complications from cancer. Yeah, can, can, cancer can be complicated. At least it wasn't the Beatus. I... Like, uh, like what's his name from uh, the Malachi Crunch? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, from what? The Trouble with Tribbles. I meant to be called away as garbage. <laughs> yeah, the Beatus. Are we out? I, yeah, guess, I guess we're out. All right. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy, all rights reserved. Each and every month, the Two True Freaks Network produces dozens of new and exciting episodes which regularly reach tens of thousands of loyal listeners worldwide. Sponsorship and or advertising opportunities are available. Inquiries may be made via email to two true freaks at gmail.com. Please take a moment to stop by the two true site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Werewolf! Werewolf? There! What? Werewolf! There, castle. Why are you talking that way? I thought you wanted to. No, I don't want to. Suit yourself. I'm easy. <laughs> <laughs>